South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And I know it's very, very early in the morning, but uh, once again, we I think uh, we don't have any calls right this second. So, lucky you, you didn't even have to get out of bed. Just roll over and punch those numbers. 210-599-5555. And we'll talk about what's on your mind. Don't wait for somebody else to ask your question. 9 o'clock might sneak up on you, and nobody's asked that question yet. Then you're not real sure what you should be doing. So, uh, once again, you know, we're talking about how important watering is, but uh, if you haven't gotten your fertilizer on yet, go ahead and do it. It's not going to really help you through this cold spell, but if you have fertilized back in December, back uh, even in November when I told you to do it, your plants will be much more cold-hardy today. So uh, don't put it off. Fertilizer is not used instantly by plants. Fertilizer takes a while to get into the plants, to be converted into plant into substances, into compounds that your plants can actually use. So people that wait until the spring growth starts and then fertilize, you just miss the window. That fertilizer is going to be available in the summer. Right now is when you do your fertilizing to help your plants get off to a good start in the spring. So uh, while you're thinking about getting that thorough watering done, why don't you put down some good fertilizer first because it really will make a difference and it uh, will help for any severe weather that we could potentially get later. You know, we're not past the danger of freezing weather until we get well into April. So uh, this is just a little wake-up call. January is typically when we get some of our coldest weather. But we can still have pretty severe weather into February, March, and even that late freeze that shows up in April. So uh, uh, be prepared and help your plants get prepared by giving them the nutrients they need. Also, I want to say a couple of words about covering your plants. And there are a lot of things that are going to need to be covered tonight, especially here in San Antonio, up in the hill country. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of things you need to really cover. But even here in town, we're going to uh, have lots of things that we need to protect to keep them from getting freeze-damaged. Um, and I know we've got a couple of calls coming in, so I'll get to those momentarily. But uh, don't use bed sheets. Use a fabric that is specifically designed to help prevent freeze damage. I find that the lighter colors work best. I know there's some green ones out there, but I've had very bad luck with those. I found the plants freeze right underneath them. My favorite one happens to be one called Insulate, which is just the letter N-S-U-L-A-T-E. But uh, they're specially woven fabrics that really do make between 5 and 10 degrees difference in uh, how much cold your plants will take. But uh, bed sheets, no. Blankets, no. Uh, plastic, don't even think about it. The first big gust of wind, your plastic will be down in Corpus if the wind's from the north, or it'll be up in Dallas if the wind's from the south. So do get a good light-covered uh, or light-colored row cover. The nice thing about the products like this Insulate is that you don't have to rush to get them off. You can actually leave the plants covered all winter with it, and it'll still get enough sunlight through the fabric that your plants will do just fine. So anyway, just a few words to the wise. And uh, um, anyway, it uh, looks like Clint remembered something he forgot to ask probably. So let's go back and see. Good morning again, Clint. Absolutely. Uh, I touched base before, but the nature's creation, uh, I guess, is the one you like the best. But I was wondering, what's number two? That's a little, way, a little bit too much wood chunks for my liking in there. Um, 
Yeah, there there's some brands that come out of California uh, that are making some real good compost. In fact, I was just reading about a, a new one that uh, they call Royal Gold. But the problem is, it's so blasted expensive uh, getting you know getting that stuff shipped in. That uh, if you can find any of the uh, old Ladybug products. Um, I think it was New Earth uh, bought the rights back when uh, John, uh, or, or uh, yeah, when John Dromkill discontinued the business. If you can find any ladybug around, uh, that's fine. If you're looking for a, a something that makes a pretty good mulch, even though it's not quite so high quality, uh, but the good old black cow, which is based, you know, strictly around cow manure. Um, it's it, it's certainly not going to have nearly as much in the wood chunks. Uh, I still worry a little bit about picloram contamination and anything that's cow manure based, but um, uh, it's uh, it, it's going to be one of those ones that you can find at the box stores. It's it's not a bad product. It's just simply not quite so high quality. I'm fussing at uh, regularly at the uh, people in Nature's Creation telling them to screen their materials a little bit better and uh, um, I'm they, they tell me that they are that they're going that they are working on it and that they are gonna work more on getting the big chunks out and I keep telling them if you want me to keep talking about you you've got to do it so don't give up on them but if you want to just get some black cow and if you want to take something even that might have a little bit more uh, wood chunks in it uh you can just mix something like your black cow in there um if you can uh, you know you've got the mushroom growers there uh just a little north and east of you and uh they make a pretty good uh, uh a pretty good compost just watch it that it's not too salty and you'll also find some bagged cotton burr compost uh, that is uh, typically doesn't have much of any wood in it. Again, every now and then they have a little problem with having left too much of the defoliant chemical on there. But uh, uh, the mushroom and the uh, and the uh, um, um, cotton burr compost are two that you might look at. The other thing you can do, and it's not a lot of work. But build yourself a screen. Get some uh, uh, half-inch hardware cloth and just, you know, make a rectangular, you know, something that you can attach a hardware cloth to and then put another circle of wood around like you're framing a picture. And uh, and, and this is what I do with lots of things. I just I, I have one that I built so that it kind of fits on the top of my uh, wheelbarrow. And I'll just put a shovel full of whatever on top of it and, you know, work it back and forth a bit. And I've got, uh, I would call those the fines that come through. And that is a much finer material. I do that with potting soils when I want a good soil that I can use for germinating seed. A uh, little bit of extra work, but no reason you couldn't do it with uh, mulch or compost. Uh, it's just, um, again, I try to think of it as exercise rather than work, but uh, you can do a little bit of screening, but they tell me that they are improving their trammel screen so that it's going to be less of an issue in the future. Yeah, hopefully they'll do that. Uh, I guess like the black cow folks go that route, the, uh, I, got, I think it's called deep root or something, the mycorrhizal fungi, just yeah, throw that uh-huh. in there with it. Yeah, absolutely. 
do you know don't don't add your mycorrhizae until you're actually ready to spread this product out uh, because once that little mycorrhizal fungus spore germinates, it has a relatively short time that it needs to find a plant root to associate itself with. Again, mycorrhizae are not parasitic, but over the millennia, plants, most plants, not all plants, not all plants form mycorrhizal associations, but most plants have developed um a oh gosh a a process where a certain amount of carbohydrates are released from the roots we used to think that the plants were just weren't very efficient that they were just losing some of this carbohydrate back in the soil but as it turns out as some of the really smart people in the world like dr lane ingham have uh, managed to show us uh it's a mutually beneficial thing the plants release a little bit of the carbohydrate out through the roots that's what your mycorrhizal fungus uses to grow and live and it in turn gives back to the plants you know a hundredfold so um, th- those spores are absolutely tiny. They don't contain much nutrient material. So once they have germinated, they've got to find that root to associate themselves with fairly quickly. So uh, if you're mixing mycorrhizae into your soil, don't do it until you're just about to put that, that soil or that compost over or around your plants so you get the benefit from the mycorrhizae. What, what about existing trees? Just kind of up water and kind of water some of that in, or you got to do that with the compost. Um, I like to do it with the compost, uh, just because I think you know the humic acids or lots of other things in the compost that really benefit the trees. But as long as uh, you can get your mycorrhizal inoculant down to the soil you don't want to get it have it stuck up on top of the leaves or stems or whatever else uh if i were going to put it you know directly around the trees i would mow the grass around them first or i would pick a real dry time and i put my mycorrhizal fungal mix out and then go out with a hose and wash it down to be sure that it's down into the soil not just sitting up there on the leaves dehydrating could that be mixed in with those inline watering systems for delivery? I would imagine so. It's a very, very fine product, and uh, uh, the inline watering systems there. There's more than one kind. There is uh, the kind that works on a siphoning uh, system, which works really well. The really high quality ones are based on transfer across a membrane. And those you would not get any, your, your mycorrhizae would never get through that. But some of these, and I, gosh, I'd have to go back and review brand names. But some of the ones that, uh, where you use a, you know, a really highly concentrated fertilizer and you've got a, a, a membrane in there that it moves through because of osmotic pressure, uh, that's, that's not going to let your mycorrhizae through at all but if you've got an inline injector system then they uh, mycorrhizae will go through that just fine it just it just depends on the kind of uh system you have for getting the fertilizer into the water that's moving through the pipe okay all right well i appreciate your time yet again always a pleasure again clint you get out and stay warm uh george show and wade hang on just a minute i need to get a break in here and you guys will be up next Looks like I get to talk about Fanix, and uh, I need to tell you several things about Fanix. One is a date to put on your calendar. 
Uh, they've got a big fruit tree seminar coming up the 27th of this month uh, that the guys from Extension Service, Dr. Larry Stein, will be putting on. And if you really want to learn about pruning and growing peaches and plums and things like that, uh, this free seminar starts 9 in the morning, but be sure and put the 27th of January on your calendar to go over to Phoenix and get in on this fruit tree seminar. Right now, they want you to know they've gotten their seed potatoes in. <clears throat> they've got a fresh supply of onion plants. Speaking of fruit trees, well stocked on peaches and pears and plums and all the different things you can grow. Berries like blackberries, they've got grapes. It's just a great time to be putting out your permanent plants in your orchard or your vineyard. Phoenix is well stocked. They've also got lots of trees that qualify for that uh, green shade rebate program from CPS Energy, where CPS will give you $50 credit per tree if you plant it properly. They are well stocked on just about everything you could imagine in the way of wintertime vegetables and flowers. When you've got 10 acres of ground like Phoenix does, <laughs> you've got room for lots of things. Also, remember the Eco lithium-ion battery-powered outdoor equipment and those wonderful Traeger pellet grills and all the accessories. Get by and see Phoenix. They're open every day right over on Home Green Road where they've been for about 90 years. Check their website for more information at Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Looks like Joe and Wade are going to be the next two callers. Good morning, Joe. Hi, Joe. Are you there? Oh, hey, Bob. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Uh, I've got a quick question about a mountain laurel tree. Okay. Um, do they have like a lifespan? Everything living has a lifespan. <laughs> With the mountain laurel, I'd say the oldest mountain laurels I see with any regularity, and I've got them growing wild all over my ranch, so I see a lot of mountain laurels, but I'd say they can probably live 80 to 100 years, but uh, it's a pretty long lifespan. Okay, because I've got one in my front yard that's probably, I'm guessing, 50, 55 years old. Uh huh. And. It looks perfectly healthy, but the last couple of windstorms that have blown through, it's dropped two gigantic limbs, like four to five diameter, five-inch diameter limbs. And that's, that you know, that, that's due to a number of different things. We had such a dry summer uh, that a lot of trees, the wood, the limbs simply got more brittle and, of course, the bigger a plant gets, the more foliage it develops, the, the more weight there is out on those big limbs. You might, since you are blessed with having some really big, majestic old trees, it might be a good thing to do in the spring, enjoy their flowers, and then go through and thin them out just a little bit. Take a little bit of weight off of them. We even do this on pecan trees, especially the brittle ones like Desirable. Just go through and where you've got, you know, 50 pounds of foliage out on the end of that, you know, reduce it down to 30 or 35 pounds and your trees will be less susceptible to breakage. And uh, I know that sounds like a bit of work, but otherwise it's just, you know, it's just a fact of nature. You've got these increasing heavier and heavier and heavier weights out on these longer and longer and longer limbs and then when we get one of these days with the 45 mile an hour wind gust yeah you're going to have a few uh you're going to have a few limbs break right okay so i was wondering uh, is there any kind of fertilizer that would be good for it or it's the same thing you put on your grass and shrubs uh 
Yeah, Medina makes a good one called Growing Green. Maestro Grow makes a good one called Texas Tea. Nature's Creation makes a good one called uh, Premium Lawn and Garden Food. Any of those, they're they're all good organic fertilizers. They're just based on a little bit different material. But uh, I tend to alternate. I I tend to mix it up because you know if nobody wants to eat hamburger all the time, uh, you want to throw in a little prime rib, a little fish, a little chicken every now and then. And uh, I think your plants right. feel the same way. Okay. Uh, so it's probably just uh, drought damage. Well, it it was aggravated by the drought. Uh, there's a whole very poorly understood uh, physiological thing called summer limb drop syndrome. And visiting with some of the good arborists I know, we pretty much agree that when we just have super dry soil, the the plants have literally less sap. In the limbs, when that happens, the limbs are more brittle, and that's why we see more damage during and following a real period of drought. Now, uh, there there's so many different things. It's not so true of a mountain laurel, but um, it was something like an elm or an oak or something like that. You want to go through and prune out any really narrow angles. Anytime you've got a trunk and you've got a limb coming off at a, at a very narrow angle, less than 45-degree angle, this is especially true of elm trees, uh, that's the first limb that's going to break when we get a big windstorm. If you've got a limb coming off at like a 90-degree angle, man, that thing, even if it's only an inch in diameter, I wouldn't hesitate to climb up and step on that limb. Mount laurels, that's not so true with because they, although they develop more of a trunk as they get really old, they don't have much of the problem with the real narrow angle crotches. But this is a big issue, especially with elms and pecans and to some extent with oaks. Yours is just a matter of having longer limbs with a very heavy leaf growth out on the end that uh, is going to be a little bit more susceptible to damage when we do get high winds. Okay. Well, I that, appreciate does that make your sense? Uh, expertise. Yeah, it does, actually, yeah. It gets pretty well, heavy with the seeds, too. When it's oh, yeah. And uh, unless you're planning to start a roadside nursery and sell mountain laurels, once you've enjoyed the flowers, go ahead and clip those seed pods off as they start to develop and let the plant put that energy into uh, more roots and more plant. All right. Makes sense. I appreciate it, Bob. My pleasure, Joe. Appreciate the call this morning, and now it's Wade's turn. Good morning, Wade. Good morning. Good morning. Good I morning. have a couple questions for you. That's what I'm here for. Um, that uh, bilayered plastic that you had mentioned uh, many times in the past for the greenhouses, we're trying to plan one for next year. Where was it that you uh, typically get that? Uh, and we're talking about the plastic panels? The, the hard, yes, sir. Um, I like, there's a company here in town, if you want the best of the best, uh, call Greenhouses Etc. and talk to Tommy out there. That's that's where I have bought a lot of material. If you want one step down, um, there is a, uh, oh golly, there's a, a place out on Ritterman Road. I'll have to think a minute to tell you the name of it, but... Uh, uh, they make a, a very good one, actually comes out of Israel, and uh, they have they have a very good panel there. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I think of it, but they're on Ritterman Road, just maybe three blocks inside of Loop 410 on the north side of the road. Um, but um, if you want the best of the best, call Tommy out at uh, Greenhouses, etc., 
and you may need to give them a week or two to order and get it in if you need special links or if you need a whole lot of it. Uh, but the the uh, the roof on my greenhouse at home is made with panels that I bought from him. And you're able to cut that pretty easily with uh, just a jig, jigsaw or skill saw. Oh yeah, yeah. Use a, a fairly fine bladed uh, saw if you can. Jigsaw is real easy. Uh, you can get a plywood blade to put on your circular saw. And sometimes people just reverse the blade and you know use a regular ripping blade, but uh, um, they don't give that stuff away. I don't. I don't want to break or waste any of it. So yeah, I'll just. Uh, uh, use either a plywood blade or a metal cutting blade, which also cuts it very well. Metal okay. cutting blades okay. are real weird looking. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They're like, uh, imagine a saucer and just going around the perimeter of it, you, you, you know, have a, a little indention, maybe three quarters of an inch deep going down toward the center of the blade. And you think, man, how does that cut? But let me tell you what, if you're ever cutting, you know, corrugated uh, fence material or roofing or anything like that. That's the only blade to have on your saw, and it works. It works real well on on uh, the plastic as well. And what kind of blade was that? Uh, they just call it a metal cutting blade. Metal cutting. Uh, it's, okay. Yeah, it it has no teeth per se on it. And you look at it, yeah. and uh, but if it's if you don't use that, just get a real fine tooth blade. That's probably probably going to be yeah. sold as a sawwood blade, and. Uh, uh, you know, you can you can buy all these things at the box stores. If you're really looking for top quality, uh, check out Woodworker Supply or somewhere that really sells high-end material. Saw blades aren't that expensive, and you get a good one, uh, you'll have it for a lot of years. Yes, sir. Well, what are your recommendations on uh, covering the stuff in the winter garden? Which plants should be covered? Uh, if you planted potatoes, I would very definitely cover those. Uh, if you're hanging on to any summertime vegetables or fruits like tomatoes and peppers and uh, eggplant, uh, you, better, you better almost build a greenhouse over those if you're going to get them through the cold. Beyond that, your soft leafy greens like lettuce, bok choy, um, maybe even uh, chard, those I would protect. Spinach, if it's been up and growing a while, spinach is the most cold-hardy of the leafy greens. Uh, chard is going to be pretty cold-hardy as well. Um, oh, golly. Broccoli. Brussels sprouts are very cold-hardy. Uh, broccoli is fairly cold-hardy. Cauliflower, not quite so much so. So in San Antonio, I'm not going to worry much about any of those, but if, you, if you're my neighbor up in the hill country, uh, you're probably going to plant to protect your cauliflower. And root crops like beets and carrots, um, if, if they're relatively recently sprouted, yeah, I would cover those as well. Cabbage, cabbage okay? Cabbage should be okay, yeah. All right. And... Um what about with that? You were talking about the co- the uh, cottonbur compost. Do you ever you ever worry about any contamination with that? Because so many uh, chemicals used on the cotton. <laughs> I worry about it all the time. That's why I prefer yeah. a you know a, a compost made either from vegetable materials or, as the phrase in the industry goes, forest floor products. Uh, uh, yeah. Many years ago, I worked with one of my mentors, wonderful man up in the Bernie area, named Alton Grimm. And uh, we lost about 200 rose bushes we just passed up. We used a lot of cotton burr compost in the soil mix that we made. 
and we got a bad batch full of defoliant and uh, killed a couple of thousand dollars worth of roses with it. So, yeah, I, I worry all the time. Um, if I were you, if I were using it on some pricey plants, uh, I probably would do a little test. I would, uh, you know, soak it in some water overnight or something like that, find a soft weed and go pour it over it and, you know, see if you see any damage from it. It's probably great 98% of the time, but it's those other 2% of the time that I worry about, and that's why I don't recommend it as highly as I do, especially your vegetable-based compost. Yeah, I've seen it. I've never used it, but we, we, we try to make our own. We, we're going to try uh, your and Howard Garrett, Garrett's recommendation with the uh, shredded uh, hardwood. we got yeah. plenty of that. We're going to get one and put that some of that in the compost in a separate pile and kind of see how it t- how long it takes and how it does. Yeah, and um, it will it, it will add a great deal. Just remember that when you get into the harder woods, it takes a little more. The microbes that break it down, uh, both bacteria and fungi, uh, they require a little more nitrogen, so until they're well broken down, where you've used that, you're going to have to provide some additional fertilization. But, uh, I mean, this is what Mother Nature's been doing, but Mother Nature's really patient, and if you're like me, you're not very patient at all. You want it to now. But uh, yep. the more the more finely you're able to grind it, the more surface area you create, and therefore the faster it will break down for you. Great, great. Um I was also, I listened to Howard Garrett's uh, podcast, too, and, and he talked about maybe using the, and y'all talked about this, I think, last week, using the uh, overhead watering maybe a little bit more. You know, everybody's talking about um, using the stuff on the ground more frequently, especially for tomatoes. What are your thoughts on that with the tomatoes? Well, on tomatoes, I prefer to water at ground level, and the reason yeah. is because tomatoes are very susceptible to fungal diseases that get on the leaves. And a fungus cannot start on a dry leaf. A fungus spore lands on a dry leaf, nothing happens. A fungus spore lands on a drop of water on a leaf, then you have the potential to get your early blight started or something like that. So, yeah, there are a lot of things out there. In fact, probably 80% of what you put in the vegetable garden, uh, I'm fine with overhead watering with a sprinkler or whatever else. It's not the most efficient way to do it. But on things that are susceptible to the different leaf spotting diseases, no, I'm going to keep those leaves as dry as I can. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. One more question. Strawberries, you think strawberries should be covered? Uh, no, um, not unless you're in Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg, I might cover them, but uh, even in Bernie, uh, watch the forecast. I'll just say that. I'm not going to worry about strawberries down in the upper teens. And uh, right now, you know, it's still kind of up in the air. Yeah, if they're saying it's going to get 12 degrees, I'll probably cover my strawberries. But here in San Antonio, I'm, I don't think it's going to be an issue. But I would okay. water them. Be sure you get them watered thoroughly today or tomorrow. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Good questions, Wade. Appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. All right. Let me take a minute here and talk about, uh, let's see, who do I get to talk about right now? It looks like I get to talk about uh, Kinetico. And I love talking about Kinetico water softeners. I know you hear lots and lots of ads from lots of good companies selling what they consider to be good water softeners. But realize that the majority of the water softeners sold are electronic pieces of equipment. They're susceptible to power surges, power outages. Back when we had the big outages a couple of years ago, anybody with one of those systems had no soft water. Also, power surges can burn out the computer in there, and you're looking at expensive repairs. Also, where they are electronic, 
they tend to recharge on a preset cycle whether the rosin needs to be recharged or not. All good reasons that I love Kinetico. Kinetico water softeners run on the kinetic energy in the water. No electricity involved, no worries about power surges, lightning strikes, or power outages. And a Kinetico system, it's a twin tank system, so you never run out of soft water, but it only recharges when the rosin needs to be recharged. Saves you salt, saves you water, saves you money. Fact, Kinetico is so sure you love their systems, they'll let you try them for 90 days. They're just as reasonably priced as the others. I've had mine for 20 years, I guess, and if I had to replace it, I'd buy another Kinetico. I don't think so, though, because uh, they tend to be lifetime quality. Learn more, give them a call at uh, um, 210-656-PURE, or probably better still, go to their website, KineticoSA.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Now, if this is a typical Saturday morning, let me tell you what's going to happen. And that is, all of a sudden, about 7.15 or 7.30, everybody's going to think, oh, gee, I've got this question I meant to ask. And then you have a lot of trouble getting through because the phone lines are busy. I'll tell you what, (laughs) right now the phone lines are not busy. So if you've got that question, go ahead and call me while... uh, you know, before it gets uh, real busy, and you know the number, 210-599-5555. There is a lot to know about uh, getting ready for the cold weather. And, um, you know, again, things like your freeze misers will save you a great deal of effort and uh, potentially a lot of broken pipes. A little device you put on the hydrant, turn the water on, and nothing happens. Nothing comes out unless the water inside the hydrant gets down close to freezing. My freeze misers, I checked them when I left the house this morning, and being about 28 degrees in Bernie, that water had gotten cold, and they were just kind of slowly dribbling. If you just want to avoid the problem of uh, worrying about frozen faucets and, uh, you know, Plumbers, you can't even get a plumber to come talk to you for less than a couple of hundred dollars these days. So uh, you can afford a lot of freeze misers for the cost of one broken hydrant. So it would certainly be a good thing to think about today or tomorrow before the really severe weather arrives. Also, I would advise, even though we're not really going to be worried about covering things, we're not going to need it for the cold, probably for a couple of days. And let's say change forecast, it looks like... uh, Probably Monday night is going to be when the really cold weather hits. But guess what? It's a lot of trouble trying to cover something when the wind's blowing out of the north at 20 miles an hour. It's going to be a little breezy today, but uh, probably not not nearly as windy as it's going to be when this cold weather really blows in. So uh, uh, don't put it off to the last minute. Uh, they make a, a little pin that you can, uh, it's, it's kind of, well, it's like shaped like an upside-down U pointed on the bottoms. And when you're putting your row cover over, what I do in the vegetable garden, well, I've actually got some little pipe frames made, uh, and then I just kind of stretch my row cover over like a pup tent over it, and then just take these uh, six-inch pins and pin the fabric down to the ground. And it stands up even to pretty high winds, so it's not a whole lot of work to do. But, uh, again, I think today is going to be the better day to get your insulate uh, and get your freeze misers and things like that before the, before the winds come up. I guess I got some folks' attention because now it's Ed, Dolores, and Kim, and uh, um, and Vida. Uh, so let's get started with Ed. Good morning, Ed. Uh, good morning. My question morning, sir. Is uh, good morning. Uh, my question is: 
um, on plumeria plants. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're too large to bring in, and yep. I've heard people pull the whole plant up That's... and store it in a warmer place. Is that correct? You can certainly do that. It's uh, um, if you know, I, <laughs> plumeria gets pretty big. Some people will just drag it into the garage and lay it down. You know, lay the pot over, but. Um, they are a, a very succulent plant, and they do just fine if you basically take them out of the pot, you know, shake the soil off. And uh, they need to be kept in an area that's going to be above freezing. But I know people that just hang them up, you know, in a heated garage or a storeroom or whatever. They don't have any leaves, so they really don't need much light. Uh, but that'll work just fine, uh, you know, for your plumerias. Um, thank you very much, and you stay warm. I will do my best, and if you accidentally break any of the stems off, uh, let them dry, uh, you know, three or four days. Let that broken spot dry and callous over. Uh, then just, you know, leave it along with the other early spring, uh, put it in uh, soil, hopefully put that on a propagating mat or something. And instead of looking at it as a broken limb, look at it as a new plant, because uh, Plumeria is brittle, and uh, it's it's when they get big, they're a little tough to handle. But you you do have to protect them well from freezing weather because they they'll just uh, go to pieces uh, if if we get much below freezing. So get out and get your work done, Ed. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Uh, next in line is Dolores. Good morning, Dolores. Good morning. Good well, morning. I'm, my rememberer forgot, and I have some freeze misers that have been in. Uh, just room temperature for the uh-huh. well, all, uh, and I had heard or read something about putting them in the refrigerator. If you want to be sure that they, you know, haven't developed any problems, stick them in the freezer. Leave them in there for an hour or two, then take them out and put them on the hydrant. Turn the water on, and you're going to get a big gush of water comes out for about two or three minutes. But then, when the water warms up the freeze miser, it'll totally, you know. You shut down to where you've got no drip at all. That's how you test them. You throw them in the freezer and uh, then put them on the hydrant, turn the water on, and expect that there'll be a bunch of water come out. But uh, as soon as it warms up, it'll totally shut off again. So um, that's what I like to do to check them. If you have any of them that have got any calcium or rust or anything built up, you just kind of stand them up uh, with, a, with a threaded end down, stand them up in a little dish an inch or so of vinegar around them, let them maybe stay that way overnight to dissolve any calcium or anything, then put them in the freezer, then put them on. But if you have, if you have any, any question about whether they're functional, you know, put them on. If they drip, then just put them in the freezer, put them back on. That big sudden flow of water, that's going to carry out anything that's causing them problems. Okay, so... I guess I can have, maybe I can remember that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Just be careful because, uh, when, when they, when they are, are frozen, they're gonna put out a bunch of water. It, it shuts down very quickly, but, uh, don't, don't get too much of yourself underneath it or you'll get wet. Okay. Thank you much. You are certainly welcome. Anything else I can help you with today? Okay, well, listen, let me get a quick break in here, and then, uh, Kim, you'll be next in line. Looks like I get to talk to you about 
Wild Birds Unlimited, one of my favorite places to, vis- to visit. I've got to get out and talk to Kyle uh, oh, sometime in the very near future. I-, I stop by whenever I'm driving down Northwest Military or going across Hebner just to see what's new because Wild Birds Unlimited always has something new and wonderful in there. And this time of year, the birds need help. Uh, birds don't eat the same thing in the winter as they do in the summer. Now, the grocery stores don't know that. They just put the same old seed out on the shelf, uh, you know, month after month. Wild Birds Unlimited has special blends to help your birds through the winter. And they also have suet, many different kinds of suet. Some of them have mealworms in there. Others have special nutrients in there. And plus, it's so much fun to watch the birds, and you're doing so many good things for them. Birds need water in the winter, too, and Wild Birds Unlimited has some great bird baths, some great features to help your birds get the water they need. I could go on and on. Wild Birds Unlimited truly has everything the birds need and everything you need to enjoy the birds, including good, reasonable price binoculars. <laughs> it's also one of my favorite places to shop for gifts. They, they Each Wild Birds store shops independently for the gift merchandise, and Kyle and his staff just do the best job of any place i've ever been i love wild birds unlimited and uh, probably my principal place other other than our own nursery principal place i buy gifts for friends and i encourage you to do the same get out and see them they're easy to find out in the shopping center at the corner of uh of Northwest Military in Hebner. They're kind of on the side that faces Northwest Military. From a distance, you're going to say, golly, that doesn't look like a real big place. You walk through the door and you think, how did they ever get all this material in here? Wild Birds Unlimited, if you have any questions, give them a call. 479-BIRD, 210-479-BIRD for Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Kim is next in line. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I heard you talking about covering things and watering things, and um, I'm in Austin, so it's going to get a little bit colder than in San Antonio. Right. But my question is, I have a couple of citrus trees, small ones. I've put some Christmas lights down, and then I'm going to cover them. But the ground still feels moist because we have had some rain. I shouldn't water them even more, correct? Stick your finger down into the soil very well. Um, You know, a lot of us have soil that's very moist on the surface, very dry down deep. I probably would water, again, just to be safe. And unless you've got, you know, unless you inherited Christmas lights from your parents or grandparents, not going to do you any good. The light doesn't help the plants. Uh, people used to put Christmas lights on them when they, we had the old incandescent bulbs that generated a lot of heat. Most all the Christmas lights these days are LEDs that make no heat whatsoever. They're incandescent. Yeah. <laughs> I learned this trick from my mom. Well, hopefully, hopefully you've got some of those old Christmas lights that still uh, still generate the heat. But I I have people that try this with every year. I buy yeah. a couple more strands when they go on sale, just yeah. so that I always. But I get those C nines and oh yeah, yeah. so you yeah. can still find them. 
Well, it's uh, you hang on to them because uh, uh, so many of the new ones are the LEDs, and they're going to give you no benefit at all. But uh, no, those right. old-fashioned ones are fine. But I, I would go ahead and give your citrus a thorough watering, and I would also probably mound them six, eight inches deep and compost around the base, just so if worse comes to worse and the trees freeze back, they can still come back out above the graft point. Are uh, kumquats grafted? Most of them are. Uh, the better ones are. There are. There's one company now that is starting to produce more citrus from cuttings. Uh, Brazos Valley Citrus uh, uh, over in East Texas is is doing some from cuttings, but they will say cutting grown uh, when you buy them. But most kumquats uh, are still, especially Miwa, the sweet one, uh, are still grafted. Yes. Yeah, I have a Miwa, but I also have the original Arctic Frost on its uh-huh. own rootstock. So yeah, but I but it's struggled since I planted it right before Urey. So I'm still I'm I'm gonna really baby that one because it's just now getting back to where it was <laughs> when I planted it in fall of 2020, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's they're worth growing, but uh, we're sure. And and in Austin, you know, you're you're that much chillier. We're we're kind of pushing it to to grow these tropical trees uh, up in this part of the world. But I had a friend in San Antonio that built a greenhouse over his grapefruit tree, and it got to be where his greenhouse covered up a third of the backyard. But he picked two bushels of grapefruit every winter, so it's worth the effort if you have the time and the room. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, Kim. Thank you. Vida is next in line. Good morning, Vida. Good morning. Good morning. I live I, I live in uh, North Central Florida, but I okay. listen to your program. Well, and, I appreciate uh, that. I'm honored. I have a I have a problem with crabgrass. Uh huh. My yard must be covered with all kinds. I think I have every kind of crabgrass that there is in my yard. So I was wondering when is the best time to put out something that will, I know you don't ever probably get rid of crabgrass, but when would be the best time to put out something uh, to kill the crabgrass? What What is your basic grass? Uh, other than the crabgrass, what did you plant? St. Augustine, Bermuda, what's your basic grass? St. Augustine with a little bit of centipede in it. Okay. Um you know, the best defense is a good offense, as they say, and if you can get your St. Augustine really healthy, fertilize, alaric compost, all those things, it will choke out the crabgrass. Um, the, probably the best time to treat for it is late oh, winter, early spring, and it's a great time to put some compost down because the compost contains a natural pre-emergent herbicide, and it will stop a lot of those crabgrass seeds from ever sprouting. Now, there are synthetic pre-emergents that I don't really recommend. There is one natural pre-emergent, which is called corn gluten meal. It's not corn meal. It's corn gluten meal. It's a protein component that's left over after they take the corn syrup out. But corn gluten meal will keep a lot well it actually lets the seed sprout but then doesn't let it develop a root system and that's another good way to control most of your annual crabgrass problems and in florida you would put that out probably 
about November or so, it's not too late to do it. Go ahead and get it before the, you know, before the little green weeds appear. But compost and corn gluten meal are probably your two best ways to uh, get it under control. At the same time, be sure you're fertilizing and putting compost down uh, to get your St. Augustine healthy enough to choke it out on its own. Okay, and I can uh, find these. Uh, probably have to order it uh, through Amazon from... Uh, oh, what? Texas, yeah. Texas no, try try your local uh, distributors there. I know uh, I know several of the bigger companies, uh, you know, distribute in that area. You can always go online, but because these things are heavy, makes them expensive to ship. Check your local nursery or garden center and ask them if they can order them for you, because chances okay. are they can get them for you. If you have more questions, I'll get Greg to put you back on hold, but I've got to go to news, and uh, you're listening to KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right. Uh, Greg, did Vita hold on, or are we ready to move on to Roberto? All right, Roberto, it's your turn. Good morning, sir. Morning. How are you? I'm off to a good start. Not looking forward to severe cold weather, but you know it's coming whether we like it or not. I hear you. I appreciate all the information on, on button up the house and everything. So I'm well, that's what I'm here for. And uh, Martin Bomba will be live and uh, on the air this morning, live and local, as we like to say. So any questions I can't answer about your house it is after nine o'clock, you can call Martin and get the help there. But I'm here to help you with all those plants and landscape questions. Well, great. I was thinking about, uh, uh, I got some, a bunch of oaks and elms up in the backyard here, and I was going to, I wanted to trim out some of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, would today be a good day to do that? <laughs> Every day is a good day to do that. It's, I don't think it's going to be terribly windy. Um, uh, I, with the elms and things, I especially like to trim this time of year because the leaves are off the tree and you can see what you're doing a little bit better. If you're trimming on live oaks or red oaks, be sure that you seal any wound, no matter how big or small. It doesn't have to be pruning paint, but just any kind of paint. Uh, your other oaks, like your bur oak, your chinkapin oak, your lacy's oak, uh, those oaks are not susceptible to problems with oak wilt, so you don't have to worry about them. But uh, live oaks and red oaks, it is important, and this is a great time to trim them, but it's very important that you do seal the wounds, even though the weather's cold. Some people say, oh, the bugs aren't active. Well, it can be very cold one day and very warm the next. So, uh, yeah, if you're prepared to... You know, to seal those wounds and um, you got your saw or your chainsaw sharpened up and ready to go, this would be a fine day to do some tree trimming. Great. Yeah, and I'm just going to also pull off as much ball moss as I can because i got a little bit of it back there. Yeah, it doesn't hurt anything. Ball moss isn't a parasite. It's a bromeliad that's just using that as a place to hang on and grow. But a lot of people don't like the looks of it. And uh, if you pick it out, do it, you know, do it carefully. Just don't get up there and start thrashing around with a stick because then you break up more than just the ball moss. But uh, while you're up there, sure, pick it out. I've, I've always thought if we could find a way to send it up north, we could tell them it's a very good bromeliad and they could grow it as a house plant, but I haven't haven't got that money making scheme figured out quite yet. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily I'm, I'm, I'm getting a, uh, a bucket lift, so that's going to, I won't be climbing as, as I used to. <laughs> good plan. Anything else I can help you with today? Ah, that'll do it, brother. Thank you so much and God bless. 
you just get out there and be super careful and uh remember use fiberglass ladders wherever you can because unfortunately there are a lot of people get out with the aluminum ladders they love to sell you down uh you know at the box stores and then you run into a power line you've got a real problem so stay safe i want you listening for a long time i appreciate it omar is next in line good morning omar good morning bob how are you i'm off to a good start how about yourself uh it's uh gonna move some cows around today and it's uh <laughs> Chilly, 38 degrees. It's not, oh. not my favorite time of year. I was doing it yesterday in the wind, so, yeah, you got my sympathy there. <laughs> um, I wanted Just, to ask, I had forgotten uh, my asparagus. Take it down to an inch above the ground? or Yeah, take it down as close to ground level as you can conveniently do it because the part you eat is the new growth that's coming up and uh, – you know those old stems that were pretty last year. They're uh, they're they're not serving any purpose any longer. And we're getting to the point that asparagus is just about to burst into growth. So yeah, this would be a great day to cut your asparagus back if you haven't already done so. Gotcha. And then uh, of course it it uh, in that state it needs to be covered. Not really. Um, if we have little sprouts coming up and we get a real hard freeze, yeah, they're going to shrivel, but it's not going to hurt your roots. Uh, and it's hard to cover asparagus because the new growth that comes out is so brittle. But uh, yeah. um, I, asparagus is pretty hardy. If you can cover it, what I've you know done is either make a little frame or even just put a blunt stick down in that you can drape your row cover over. But uh, even if it freezes, you know it's going to go on putting on new shoes for the next two months. So you're in you're in good shape. Yeah, I just I'm wondering because I had I had onions that sur- that survived unprotected the big freeze, and I I just thought that was that was craziness. But <laughs> but uh, they Texas, did it. They did Texas. it. We we. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Texas weather is craziness uh, by definition. Of course, everywhere I go, uh, people say the same thing. Like, if you don't like it, just wait a minute and it'll change. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I, I think I think we have more violent shifts in the weather than some parts of the country have visited. But uh, you know, it is it's going to be what it's going to be. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'll give you a call tomorrow because my my late fall tomatoes have just now started to ripen on the vines. I'm going to pull them. i got a lot of green on them, but I'm going to pull them today. And I, I bet i got 25 pounds of them off of four pounds. Oh, wow. Something Lucky like you. That. Well, make chow-chow out of some of them and put the bigger ones on the windowsill to ripen. They they won't be quite as good as they would on the plant, but they'll be better than anything you're going to buy at the grocery store. And Absolutely. as you've well discovered, you know, once the weather gets cold, they are just so slow to ripen on the plant. Yeah, I think you're just fine to... Uh, to pick them and ripen them inside. Yes, sir. All righty. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Look forward to it, Omar. Thank you, sir. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, we've still got time to talk to Christy before the next break. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm off to a very good start this morning. It's actually a beautiful morning out there. It's just a little chilly. It is gorgeous. Sunrise is going to be awesome. So, specific plans. From Pax, Texas, sage, my uh, autumn sage, salvia, and my great bloomish flower on a south-facing wall. Do mm-hmm. I need to protect them? No need to protect your uh, your compact Texas sage at all. Um, okay. Your what what kind of salvia do you have? Which one of the salvias? 
Oh, I've got a few of them. Uh, okay. So, well, the, um, Sal- the Salvia Greggi. Okay. Yes. Yeah, uh, that Greggi. Yeah, that one does not need to be protected. It's just fine. Um, I didn't bring all the other tags in because I know they're all versions of red Salvia Greggi. My blue mist flower. Oh, and my pansies up in Mason. Yeah. So we're going to get a little colder. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about the pansies. Uh, they'll they'll be just fine. Uh, Greg's mist mulch it heavily and let it freeze back. I mean that that plant grows like an absolute weed, and uh, if you you can cover it if you want to, you can protect it. But it always looks a little rough <laughs> as we come through the winter. So I just put two three inches of mulch over it and let the top freeze back, and know that it'll come back gangbusters when it warms up again. Okay, yeah, I mulched everything yesterday. Today, mm-hmm. I'm going to feed the orchard, check its mulch, and water it heavily. Water is most important on, uh, you know, on those perennials and shrubs as well as your orchard. Uh, um, just, uh, again, be sure all your automatic systems are shut off before the weather drops below freezing. But today's going to be a great day to get that thorough deep watering done. Yeah, I'm I'm the automatic watering system. I don't mind because I love being outside. Yeah, I covered the roses Sharon's yesterday, soaked them, mulched them, put the um, insulate around them. Oh, you don't need to do that on no. You don't need to do that on Rosa Sharon. My mother grew Rosa Sharon in East Tennessee where it got to 10 below zero, and I've never yet seen a freeze damage on Rosa Sharon. Now, other types of hibiscus, uh, yeah, you better protect them, but Althea's, Rosa Sharon, that's one you do not have to worry about. Oh, my gosh, I bowed the wind yesterday to get them done. <laughs> well, so learn that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, thank you. Then I don't need to do that. I don't need to make the pansy. I was going to. No. I heard you talking earlier about the little, like, crellish you made so you could put your roll cover over. I'm like, sure. I don't have one of those. Now, so I, I would. Go make a bunch of yeah. I'd I'd cover snapdragons, I'd cover petunias, I'd cover stock. Of course, in Mason, you don't grow quite as many of those as we do in San Antonio. But pansies and Johnny Jump Ups, down, I wouldn't worry about them down to 15 degrees. Now, let's watch the weather. If it's going to get colder than that, yeah, maybe throw some insulate over them. But uh, Yeah, I think we'll get to 10. That's why. Well, yeah, cover them, cover them, but don't worry about your Altheas and uh, uh, don't worry about your Salvi Greg. Yeah, they should be just fine. Super. Thank you. Have a lovely day. You do the same, Christy. Appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Uh, let's pause here for just a second. Uh, uh, Greg, you're up next, but uh, need to get a break in here. That means I get to talk about Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. And uh, I'd love to tell you about Sam's new program. Now, Sam has spent the last 30, 35, 40 years helping people solve problems in the landscape, consulting with people, and he still does a lot of consulting work. But he has a new quarterly program it's uh and it resembles what the big companies do only in that he comes out once a quarter to take care of things but he does with organic products he does it the right way he uses no toxins 
and he doesn't ask you to sign a long-term contract or anything else. You just simply call and say, put me on your list, and on a quarterly basis, Sam will come fertilize your landscape, give it all the nutrients it needs, at least on a yearly basis. He'll add micronutrients as well. He'll put out beneficial nematodes as required to control insects. It's just his way of doing it right. He just calls it his quarterly program, and you can get on that list, and you can cancel it any time. Again, it's not like what the chemical companies hit you with. And Sam knows organics. He's been doing this for, like I say, close to 40 years now, and he still will do independent consultation. If you just want somebody that will come out and take a look at your yard, tell you what's right with it, what's wrong with it, maybe give you suggestions on planting. He doesn't do the actual planting, but uh, he does things like I say, like fertilizer application, compost tea application, and uh, insect and problem control. Sam's just a good guy, and he's been at it a long time. Check out his website, greengroworganics.com, and uh, if you want to give him a call, the number's easy to remember, 599-5565. Sam Sitterly, Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. I've got a couple of open lines once again, so if you're getting a busy signal there for a couple of minutes, it'd be a good time to dial 210-599-5555 while I say good morning, Greg. Good morning. I got a question. Do you have any experience with these so-called sub-irrigated planters? Ever heard of that? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's. I am not real impressed with them. Uh, they, you know, more commonly they're just called self-watering planters. But uh, I find that if you have the right type of soil, if you have soil that drains perfectly and yet has some water holding capacity to it, I've seen people, you know, do okay with things, but they're not. They're not just a, a miracle that reduces your watering down to just add water, you know, every six weeks or something like that. And uh, I, and having, you know, seen them, you know, tried side by side with a more traditional planter, uh, they they just generally don't give super outstanding results. Again. If you're a person who travels a lot, if it's an ongoing problem to have to try to find somebody to water for you uh, when you're going to be out of town for more than a couple of days, they probably have some benefit there, but they're they're just not the panacea that they try to make them out. It just doesn't take all the guesswork out of watering like they claim it does. I got you. Just curious. Uh, somebody gave me one, and I just, you know, I'm going to try it. It's a novelty. No, try it. it and report back to me. I I want to know how they do. I just I talked to and and I've not tried them myself, but I've tried talked to a lot of people that tried them, and virtually every one of them after the first year went back to their original planters. Huh. Well, got nothing to lose, so we'll see what happens. It's small, <laughs> you know. It's only like yeah. ten ten by ten by three, you know. It's not gigantic. Yeah. No. That's uh. uh uh, are we talking 10 by 3 feet or inches? Feet. Feet. Okay, well, that's pretty good sized. Uh, uh, that's a pretty good sized area. I, If I were going to do anything in something that size, I would think about using the pressure. Uh, it's called uh, a pressure-regulated drip. Uh, it 
you know, it, it puts out a very, very even amount of water. And uh, I like having it right up on the surface where I can see that everything's functioning. But uh, if you want to try the sub-irrigation, uh, again, give it a try. Report back to me. I'd love to hear how it does for you. Perfect. Okay, thanks. Well, you're certainly welcome. Thank you. Anybody else waiting, okay. Greg? All right, got Joe and Tommy coming up next. Joe's next in line. Good morning, Joe. You there, Joe? Good morning. There you go. There's Bob. How you doing? <laughs> okay, I'm good. How about yourself? <laughs> great, great. Honor to talk to you. Got a couple of things, though. I uh, listened to you, and I got those freeze misers and put them on the house, and I saw it the other day, and they work wonderful. Yes, we sir. Got this hard freeze that's coming. Old habits die hard, and I'm used to covering it up, and this is my first year with the freeze misers, so... Can I rest easy with these things on? I, I know I, I can, but I just want a little extra insur- assurance on that. You know well, what I, mean? I I know what you're talking about. Um, I I trust them, and believe okay. me, I've 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 spent my time crawling around underneath my hundred year old house, you know, fixing water leaks and broken pipes before. But uh, my experience <laughs> with them has been a hundred percent good. Now I'll tell you the one thing that I do is I test them every year. And this is the third year now that they've been out there. But, uh, you know, I want to be sure that they're working perfectly. And uh, it, it's real easy to test them. You just throw them in the freezer for a couple of hours, put them out on a hydrant and turn it on. If they're working, and I've never had one that wasn't, if they're working, you'll see a lot of water come gushing out. But as soon as it warms up, that special oil, wax, whatever it is inside, the water shuts shuts off. But uh, if you just want to convince yourself, you know, the second year, the third year, and so on, um, right. just, you know, do what I do and, and give them that little test. But uh, Outstanding. Uh, just remember, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you sound like a smart guy, but there are people that put them on the hydrant and then forget to turn the water on. They can't work right. unless the water's turned on, and that sounds right. really silly. But uh, I I had one person that wanted to know, said, well, her faucet broke anyway. Well, it turned out she didn't turn the water on, so the freeze miser couldn't uh. work. So, but no, I they I I have not heard of any person who had a problem with them. Um, I do know that uh, where we have such hard water and everything. They can eventually build up some calcium, and I was talking to one of the inventors of it, uh, I guess Monday he was by the nursery, and he said if that happens, just simply stand them up in about an inch of vinegar, and uh, that will, you know, leave them there overnight or something, that will dissolve the calcium and free up any iron that's in there. said, then put them in the freezer, then stick them on. That blast of water that comes out when you first turn it on will carry all the particulate matter out of it. So uh, we'll see eight or ten years down the road. But uh, for now, no, I I have I trust them 100%. Fantastic. Number two, uh, I was listening to you because I had an issue with the sandburrs. Moved out in Spring Branch in 2010. And it was great, but when they put in my septic, they gave me some dirty fill. And I've been fighting that thing for the longest time until I heard you mention about the compost. Yep. And I gave it a shot, and it had spread from my little septic area to, like, about a half an acre. 
and I was doing everything I could to get rid of that stuff. Put the compost on there, and it was like magic. The next <laughs> summer rolled around, I found maybe three burrs, and yeah. that was it. I was completely surprised. But it lasted me like two years, and then it's like by the third year rolled around, I started seeing them pop up again. So this fall, I threw some more compost down. I've been telling everybody about it, that it's the best thing ever. And, well, um, and it's it's good for it's your like, grass too. It's it's not just oh, yeah. I mean it natural pre-emergent, but uh, I'm sure you've got the thickest and prettiest grass you've ever had as well. Oh, I'll tell you, I can't stop crowing about it. That stuff's fantastic, <laughs> and it's with all the chemicals that I was spending on. It's it was worth it, you know, financially many times over. Yeah, is that something that I do annually or just about every two years to just throw some good compost down? You know, it, I, I tell people it just depends on how pretty you want your yard to look. Mother Nature renews the compost every year in the form of leaves and the form of manures and things like that. Uh, do you have right. to do it? No. Once you get your soil in really good shape, and, of course, in our part of the country, that usually involves a lot of time and, you know, a lot of effort. Once your soil's in great shape, no. You can probably do it once every five years. But it takes a while to get there. And when you're in a, you know, stressful climate with poor soils, uh-huh. as most of us down right. here are, just the more often you do it, the better your grass is going to look. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned, and, and it does cost something to do it. Of course, you can cancel your gym membership because you get so much exercise <laughs> putting it on. Right. But the one thing about it, and, and if you're, if you've got an aerobic system, you know, that's, uh, uh, septic system, then you've got plenty of water. But for everybody right. that's tired of paying those really high water bills, that annual application or semi-annual application of compost will reduce the amount of water you have to put on your yard. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to repay you in other ways, uh, monetarily, as well as in the fact that you'll have jealous neighbors wanting to know why your yard's so nice and theirs isn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love jealous neighbors. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bob. You have a wonderful day, brother. And uh, I'm going to go and curl up with a nice bowl of chili and a cold beer if he's next oh uh, yeah that that maybe that'll be a good afternoon i got too much work to do in the meantime joe but <laughs> okay, you get out Bob. and enjoy and i appreciate the words of praise i, I love the compost thank you too. so much sir my All pleasure right. have a good day my pleasure you too bye all right let's go ahead and get tommy in here before the break good morning tommy hi bob uh got hi. a question I've got some wolf berries or goat goat berries or whatever you uh-huh. call them. Goji goji berries, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, got the holes dug. I put the uh, have not put the plant in the ground yet. They're still in the one gallon containers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I pull them out of the container and put them in the ground right now, would they survive the freeze? I would wait until until uh, you know. I'd I'd be doing this next weekend instead of this weekend. This is going to be harder freeze than we usually get and you know even even totally hardy shrubs and things like that i i I would suggest leaving them in containers and we don't really know how cold it's going to get in the hill country it's going to be in the very low teens in san antonio it may be in the middle teens so uh unless you're getting ready to leave town for three months uh just put your goji berries in a warm place and uh next weekend be plenty soon to get them in the ground Okay, well, let me ask you, if I put the pot in the hole, I've already got all the holes dug, and put mulch uh-huh. around the, the pot, would that would that survive? If you could totally bury it, if you, uh-huh. could, if you could totally bury it, it would. Bury but the pot, yeah, the whole pot yeah. and everything. 
Well, I mean, cover up the plant. I don't want to see anything but a pile of oh, compost the out there. Be yeah. Covered. Oh. Yep. Okay. All right. That answered my question. Now you made more work. I <laughs> well, I made less for you today, but more work for next weekend. And uh, I know. well, we got the hose dug. Just never got them in the ground. Okay. Well, right. they can they question. can wait another six or seven days. They'll be just fine, Tommy. Okay. All right. Just after this hard freeze. Right. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. You're sure you do the same. Thank you. Greg, let's get a break in here, and then we'll be back and visit with Judy and Alma. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. The next two callers are going to be Judy and Alma. Judy's first. Good morning, Judy. Well, good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Thank I you for calling, as Tom Tiny and you always say. <laughs> I appreciate it. I have one question for you. Uh, we live in the Garden Ridge area, and I mm-hmm. have viburnum suspensions that I've been babying all summer, and they're finally looking great. Uh, and I'm wondering, should I get out there and... Uh, I know they probably need water to water them, but do I water just the soil or do I water the leaves as well as the soil? Just the soil. Just Just the soil. Yeah, give those plants a very thorough watering. And um, how how big are the plants? Uh, How how long have they been in the ground? Well, they've been in the ground for about (laughs) about two years, but they've always had problems with the heat and uh, not enough watering, and then you know we had that snow two years ago, so right to replace some. So I have some that are uh, maybe about uh, two feet tall, some maybe mm-hmm. one, and then some are just starting to look really good, and they're not even a foot high yet. So I want to. Yeah, I the most important thing after watering, I would mulch them heavily. And I've seen viburnum suspensum, sandanqua, whatever you want to call it. I've seen it freeze back, but the ones who were mulched have always come back out. The ones that weren't mulched in 21, saw some of them just die completely. And I go back a number of years more than that as far as cold winters in this area. But I would de- very definitely mulch them heavily. Um, if you can, on those little ones, yeah, put some insulate over them as well. Garden Ridge, you're just a little closer than San Antonio, and watch the weather. Right now, they are not showing any temperatures that I would worry would hurt them, but the weathermen are known for dropping that forecast at the last minute, and if we're going to get down into the middle teens... Uh, that could be damaging to them, so I'd, I'd cover where you can. As long as they're, you know, just say in 2021 for low, I wouldn't worry. The water of the mulch should take care of them. Okay, okay. Well, they are heavily mulched. I wouldn't Good. get out there and water them now. I just didn't know. I thought, well, do, uh, do I water the, the leaves? I said, no, maybe it's just the ground. Right? No, it's it's mainly the ground. It's... uh. Um, plants don't really absorb much of any water through the leaves. Now, young plants will absorb moisture through the soft bark on the plant, but um, no, it's you're you're more likely to cause 
problems on an established plant. Now, when you first put the plants out, yeah, I love to water the leaves, the stems, everything else. But if they've been in the ground for three or four months, you know, at this point, focus on focus on the soil. Okay, okay. And we do have the salvia here, the gradia salvia. Gregii? Yes, I don't need to be concerned with, no. with them. No, don't don't be at all concerned with the salvia gregii. It's uh, it's very cold hardy. Uh, backing up to watering leaves and things like that. Now it's not going to do any good to do it the day before, but if you have things that are kind of not totally dependably hardy, like your sandanquas, um, in the fall, starting in September, say, if you would every couple of weeks, if you would spray them with liquid seaweed. I actually add a little molasses to that. I spray with the molasses and seaweed mix, but just the seaweed itself, if you would spray with that uh, every couple of weeks, spray the foliage with that, that will make things much more cold-hardy. Oh, okay. Seaweed. Seaweed yeah. and maybe molasses. Yeah, it, my mixture that I use is two tablespoons seaweed, one tablespoon of molasses. And I use this in the vegetable garden, probably the main place I use it because I don't grow a whole lot else because I don't have the water to do it up in the hill country. But it very definitely adds several degrees to their cold hardiness. And when you say molasses, is this a special molasses? Or no. No, the cheapest molasses you can find, feed store, garden center, certainly doesn't need to be Aunt Jemima's. Okay, okay. All right, Bob, well, you answered my questions, and I do greatly appreciate it. I appreciate your call, Judy. Get out and uh, have a good couple of weeks, and uh, hopefully we'll be back to a little more spring-like weather. Uh, Alma's next in line. Good morning, Alma. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate your show. I try to listen to it on the way to church on Sunday, too. Uh, (laughs) I have three questions for you. Okay. Uh, The first one is, can I grow Meyer lemons uh, from seeds? Um. Well, no. <laughs> if You can okay. grow lemons from seed, but a Myers lemon is a specially selected lemon. A Myers lemon is one of the best lemons you will ever have. And when you, you know, when it pollinates, even if it self-pollinates through the principle of good old Mendelian genetics, every seed is going to be genetically unique. And the plants that you grow from it might make good lemons, but they're not a Meyer lemon. And they might or might not be as good as a Meyer's lemon. But uh, they, you know, it's just like no child is the same as its parents. <laughs> and sometimes you, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you, well, it's not a matter of luck. But sometimes things work out well and sometimes they don't. The other thing is when you grow a plant from a seed, a Meyer's lemon or just about anything else, uh, that plant has to go through a maturation process. It has to physiologically mature before it can make lemons for you. And in the case of citrus, that can take up to eight years. You may have a, you may have a beautiful tree that you've grown from a seed and it may be halfway up to the eaves, but until it matures, it's not going to make any lemons for you. So if you want to reproduce it yourself, you can do cuttings, you can do air layers. Um, if you want to go to the trouble, you could uh, actually get a seedling rootstock of some sort and graft a piece of your original Myers lemons onto that, and you'd have another Myers lemon tree. But long answer to a short question, but you know me, I have to explain. I just can't say that's yes okay. or no. <laughs> but that's that's the why of no, you should not try to grow a Myers lemon from seed. 
Okay, well, uh, I had a Meyer lemon tree that would produce about 250 lemons every year. And yes. then when we had the, the freeze two years ago, uh, it froze down, and I noticed when some green uh, um, limbs started to come through, and, and I noticed one. One was coming out above the graft area. Good. Cut and the boy, others off. And, and I'm... And I'm babying, yeah. I'm babying the whole tree. And well, so, um, but but cut ahead. all anything that comes out below the graph, cut it off because it will steal the nutrients and the energy that that one remaining good branch needs. So every time you see anything below the graph point, freeze or no freeze, cut off anything that comes out below that. And uh, as far as what's happening this week, boy, build a little greenhouse over it. Cover it up. Do whatever you have to do to keep it from freezing again. I want to I wanna hear more stories about 250 lemons every summer. I, and you know what? I would count my lemons, and I used to have workers come, and they were building a fence for me. And I, would, I noticed that five of them were missing, and I would say, hey, you guys, which one of you is guilty? And it was a foreman. <laughs> but anyway... That's, that's my, a my next, good story. Yeah, go ahead. My next question is, um, I live about three miles south of Garner State Park in the Hill Country. Mm-hmm, and right. um, I have some little flat area that I've plowed up, and, and I've grown some Sudan sorghum and things like that very successfully. But I got me some buffalo grass and uh, seeds, I should say. And is it is it an invasive grass? If it is, I don't want to no. put it out there. No, no okay. it, it's it's not invasive. It's a uh, it's a tough native grass. Now there are two types. The one that if you got seed is uh, it's kind of a clumping plant, and uh, it's a good native plant. It's a it's a very hardy native grass. Uh, there are other ones that we call turf types, which tend to be more running and spreading. But none of them are strong enough that I would ever consider them invasive. They're they're good quality grasses. But uh, the one that you have now, this is not a grass that you can mow and make a you know a manicured lawn that looks like a putting green out of. It's going to be more of a bunching grass. But uh, like most of our native grasses, curly mesquite, Sidos, Grandma, all these others are. Uh, but it's certainly a good grass and uh, um, you know certainly worth planting. It's 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 not going to produce a big seed head or anything like some of the other grasses you've planted but it it is a good native grass well no the only reason i'm asking is because i've had horses and cows and mm-hmm. uh, i just wanted to have a feel with um one of those and i have a sack i'm five feet tall and i have a sack taller than i am uh, that <laughs> uh, i bought from south texas and so i i'm waiting and i don't know when to plant it i've got my fields plowed up now and I'm ready to go, but I decided I better call you and, and get your expert opinion on this. Well, I would I would recommend that you plant a blend. I would never plant just uh, if you're if you're going to use this field mainly for grazing. Um, I would always use a blend of native seeds, and you know there are a couple of good companies up in the hill country that offer native seed blends. Douglas King Seed here in San Antonio offers a great. Uh, one Dean calls it his Hill Country Blend, and he'll ship to your front door. But uh, I, I would never plant a single species uh, of grass in where I wanted, in effect, a perennial pasture. How how big is this pasture paddock area that you're planning to plant? I, I, I'm thinking about one is one acre, the other one is three acres, simply because I have more hills than I do flatlands. <laughs> sure, I understand. But um, even on a relatively small area, 
cross fence it and you don't have to you know build real you know structural fence you can use simply electric fence but it's very important um, if you're going to be running any kind of livestock on their horses or cattle or whatever else you need to be able to move them around you need to be able to rest one area while they're grazing another area and um, otherwise they will just eat it down to mud uh, a friend up that used to have a, a feed store up in Bernie, and he was trying to raise, I think, three horses on four acres, and he had nothing but a mud pit. And uh, I got him to divide that up with some electric fence, have, you know, some water available in each one, and rotate his horses around, and he went back to having a nice yard again. So do a little research, do a little study on what they call rotational grazing, and uh, even on small acreage, it works. I uh, went to a seminar one time given by, or a program given by a fella who was running uh, 102 cows on 100 acres. And he had, granted he was more toward East Texas, he had a little bit better soil, a little bit better weather than we uh, do. But he uh, he was doing it with virtually no supplemental feed, and he had beautiful grass and fat cattle. So... Uh, learn something about rotational grazing before you go to the trouble to plant, and uh, you'll you'll thank me for that down the road. Oh, well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you t- for taking the time to answer my questions. That's yes, what I'm day, here sir. for. You do the same, Alma. Love to hear from you. Uh, Greg, let's get our last break of the hour out of the way, and then we'll come back with a few more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to the gardening. Going to talk to Sherry and Martha and Teresa. Sherry is first in line. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. This is my third year also with the uh, water misers. And Uh I just came out and the one is working well, they're both working, but one of them, it's coming out between the white plastic uh-huh. and the metal, not yeah. out the, the spout. Is that going to be okay? As long as it's not coming out the top, um, yeah, it kind of comes out around the side of that little projection that comes out the bottom, but it, it shouldn't be coming out where it's screwed onto the hydrant. It should be, you know, further down the freeze miser where it comes out. Right. It's It's between like where the little ball is uh-huh it's not coming out of the ball it's coming out oh of no the that that's plastic. normal yeah you know, that's that's perfectly normal that's that's the way it's supposed to work well the other one that's coming out the 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 metal it's always mm-hmm. came out the metal piece and the one is doing that but the other one is not it's coming out between the metal and the plastic instead of coming out the the tip of it as so long as it you know totally stops dripping out as soon as the warms up then i wouldn't worry about it um there's just something that's a little different if in doubt take them off throw them in the freezer put them back on and turn the water on and uh uh that blast of water will flush out any little particulate matter or anything in there that have gotten may have gotten in there to you know, change the flow of the water, and it, that's a good idea to do every year anyway. But uh, as long as it stops dripping when it warms up, then I think you're doing just fine. Okay. All righty. I just want to make sure if I didn't need to run out and buy a new one. 
I don't think you do. They, uh, but like I say, after when it warms up today, uh, do try putting them in the freezer for an hour or so, then put them back on, turn the water on. At that point, they should really put out a surge of water for three or four minutes, and then they'll shut off completely. And that should basically clean them out, flush them out, as it were. Okay. All right. I will do that. Thank you so much. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the call, Sherry. And next in line is Martha. Good morning, Martha. Good morning. I have some asparagus that's made of tiny asparagus, like bamboo stick size, you know, uh-huh. stewers. Uh, first year that they've done that, because I planted them from seed. Uh, they're in a barrel. Mm-hmm. What's my chances of them surviving? My grandmother came back every year, but she had it in the ground. Oh, they'll survive. You're you're here okay. in San Antonio area, aren't you? Yeah, uh, well, Lavernia. Yeah, no, you're uh, New Berlin. <laughs> yeah, you're you'll be just fine there. And uh, uh, no, I've, if you were in uh, Lubbock or somewhere like that, I'd have a few concerns. But in this area, you can grow asparagus. Uh, only thing I'd recommend is that you plant several barrels because one's not going to be enough for somebody that likes That's asparagus. True. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, if you want to speed things up, the nurseries do have uh, the uh, the crowns in stock now, and you can plant more. And it is asparagus planting season, but uh, don't worry about uh, this cold spell. I'm, I, you know, who knows what is going to happen down the road. The weathermen certainly don't. But uh, the forecast so far does not show me any concern about asparagus in this area. That's good. Uh, my grow boxes, should it get down to a record low, like I heard that uh, it did in 49, mm-hmm. and it was zero in San Antonio. Right. <laughs> it's before my so, time, but that's what I've heard. <laughs> my, uh, yes. Uh, grow boxes, uh you know, they had that reservoir. Mm-hmm. I'd be in trouble with those if they're sitting on the ground. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, anything that has electrolytes in it basically serves as antifreeze. If you've got some fertilizer and things in the liquid there, chances are it's not going to freeze. But um, okay. as if you want to be sure, this sounds silly. But uh, if there were anything close to that happening, I'd probably put some sugar in that water, sugar or molasses, one or the other. I mean, I uh, num- <laughs> yeah. When when I was when I was a kid, we decided we were gonna because we didn't, you know, we didn't have the money to go out and buy popsicles on a regular basis. So my mother mm-hmm. made us popsicles in the freezer. We had our little, you know, popsicle things. We put mm-hmm. our Kool Aid mm-hmm. in there and we made our own popsicles and thought we were really smart. Well. Some of us, without our mom's knowledge, decided we wanted sweeter popsicles, so we added sugar to it, more sugar to it, and lo and behold, it wouldn't freeze. All we had was really syrupy sugar water, but it wouldn't freeze, and uh, we didn't know what we'd done wrong, but, you know, a few years later, just learned that electrolytes in the water will keep it from freezing, so... uh, Great. yeah, that that would be something you could do that your plants would actually benefit from long term. But I don't think we're, I haven't seen any forecasts that any no. kind of weather that cold is going to happen this time. No. Um, cactus. I, someone gave me a Christmas cactus and uh-huh. I 
heard you say something about the watering of it, that you don't water it like a regular cactus, you water it no. more? No, it's not a... What. Oh. It's not a it's not a <laughs> desert cactus. It's a it's no. a tropical cactus, and grow it just like you would any other house plant. It wants lots of light. Oh, wow. It cannot take any freezing weather whatsoever. But water it thoroughly that when I you water. Me. Yeah, water it thoroughly when you water. Let the soil get dry on the surface, and water it thoroughly again. Long term, you're oh. probably going to put it in a hanging basket or something like that. But says it's going to get quite large and quite spread out. Okay, and then. My son-in-law has mountain laurel on the ground, uh-huh. and should I water it? I ordinarily wouldn't think about it, but with it getting cold, I was wondering, I, and he's I out did, of town. I, <laughs> I, if you can, I would. I wouldn't lose any sleep over it if you're not able to, but just to be on the safe side, I would. Okay. Thank you very much, and may you stay warm and not have four <laughs> below. <laughs> well, it's. I think I can stay stay warm. I just hope the plants and the pipes can stay warm too. So True. you True. do the same, and I know that we will visit again. And looks like we're just about right on time to talk to Teresa now. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning, Bob. I called you last week about my tomatoes that had the black spots on them. Right. And I had yeah. I did the Epsom salt and everything. My question is: is when I picked all my tomatoes and I have them on my sun uh, my uh, the windowsill but some of them do have the black spots can I still eat those or I just might as well throw those away no you can certainly eat those typically uh, it's not going to be soft and watery typically it's just going to be a hard you know very tough tissue on the bottom but as long as the rest of the tomatoes firm just slice that portion off the bottom and uh, the top portion will be perfectly edible and very tasty. Thank you. I have like 20 tomatoes, and I'm like, oh, my God, and they're all inside. So yeah. I already bought the, the covers for my plants, <laughs> so hopefully they'll survive. I went there last week to buy them, and so hopefully we won't have that hard to freeze because I still have broccoli still coming up, and I still have tomatoes still yep. coming. Well, the broccoli should be fine. Tomatoes, unless you've got it pretty well protected, your tomatoes are probably going to freeze. But your broccoli should be just fine. Okay, so I wouldn't, I shouldn't have to cover the broccoli. Are you here in San Antonio? Yes, right here. I'm right here near the airport, right by well, the sunset. That's why I'm always over there at your. <laughs> well, watch the forecast. Unless they're predicting weather below 20 degrees, your broccoli okay. should be just fine. Okay, perfect. Okay, well, then I'll undo what I did yesterday then because I covered them with the, the wrap that y'all sell. So yeah. I'll just undo that. I wasn't sure. But okay. That, that and, insulate and, and fabric's tomatoes, good stuff. Yeah, the, and the t- tomatoes. Uh, um, gonna... Yeah, I you're going to have to protect the tomatoes. It's going to be... It's going to be tough to bring tomatoes in the ground. It's going to be hard to get them through. You probably have to wrap them with three or four layers. But when it gets cold like this, they pretty much stop producing much more fruit. So I wouldn't, you know, break your neck trying to trying to protect them. I would pick anything that's big enough to ripen inside and then probably just figure it's almost time to plant more tomatoes. Okay. Then I'll do that. I mean, I have 20 green tomatoes here inside the house, so I'm fine. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Well, I don't really think we have time to... 
take any more calls here before uh, uh, our visit with uh, the Dirt Doctor, which will be right after 8 o'clock. We'll probably have time for a few calls after that. But uh, right now, just to remind you of a couple of things, and if you've tuned in late, it is very, very important that just everything in your everything in your landscape get watered thoroughly. You know, grass trees, shrubs, ground covers, bedding plants, uh Getting things watered thoroughly before the cold weather arrives is critically important. So be sure you get that, that done this weekend, but be sure your automatic sprinkler systems and things are totally shut off. You do not want them to come on and spray warm water on frozen leaves. And we're going to probably have some pretty extended periods of time below freezing uh you know, several days this next week, and you don't want the warm water hitting the leaves or it'll cause little cells to explode, and that'll be the end of that vegetation. So uh, be sure you get things watered beforehand, but then shut the systems off. Nothing wrong with fertilizing today. Nothing wrong uh, with getting out and doing the normal things you would in the yard. Do mulch anything that is tender, your perennials and things that normally freeze back. Put two, three, four inches of mulch around them or compost or, for that matter, just shredded up leaves. Uh, you'll brush that back away when we get a little bit further into the spring. But for now, that's what will give them the insulation they need to survive, even if the top freezes back. So many things to talk about. We've got a little bit more time to do it today, and then we'll do it again tomorrow. You're listening to Gardening here on KTSA Radio in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right, let's get back to gardening here. And uh, as as you know, this is the the portion of the program every week where we get to visit with the Dirt Doctor up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Good morning, Howard Garrett. How is everybody? Ready for the big freeze? <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. Everybody, everybody's got questions, and I was just looking at the Dallas forecast, and looks like you're about the same as we are. They're saying potential for same as we are in the hill country, at least potential for low teens here in San Antonio. Probably going to be upper teens, but uh, it's going to be it's going to be pretty chilly again. Yeah, I thought we were going to have a a winter that was going to be on the mild side this year, but it doesn't look like it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> doing what you've been talking about, going around checking the freeze misers, which I've got on all my exposed stuff, and moving a few plants around. I still had a couple of tropical plants out until yesterday. And yep, been, we do too. It's been kind of amazing, but I've, I've got them moving around and even the tough stuff that's in pots, I'm moving them near the greenhouse and near the sliding glass door so they get a little warmth from the house, and that's about all I'm going to do, I think. Well, I hopefully that will be enough. It's, uh, you know, they they just keep, the weathermen keep jumping back and forth, raising the highs, raising the lows, dropping them back and forth, but uh, I... Things that have been on an organic program, I think, are going to come through better. But I'm, I'm telling people, I think probably the same thing you are: mulch, mulch, mulch around your perennials and things. So even if the top freezes, they'll come back. And uh, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience with row covers is that the uh, lighter colored ones tend to do much better. They somebody's making a green kind of fuzzy one that. Uh, Oh, I guess I won't mention the the trade name on it, but I've had people tell me that they had things just 
you know, freeze underneath it, even with fairly light freezes. But the lighter colored ones I like because they do offer at least a few degrees of protection, and you can leave them on. You don't have to rush to take them off. They let enough light through that the uh, plants still photosynthesize uh, uh, just fine. But uh, there's going to be a lot of covering going on before before Tuesday morning. I, that's That's when our coldest temperatures are forecast at this point. Well, I agree with you. I kind of experienced it myself. That dark uh, green opaque stuff, I don't think works at all. Um, yeah. Maybe one case where it could be used, and I've, I've used it that way, and it seemed to be okay, and that's wrapping it around a trunk of a mm-hmm. little tree that's in a container that yeah. had to be left outside. Uh, but I used it over the top of a little dwarf Japanese maple. Mm-hmm. Well, two years ago, and and it didn't help help at all. I think the fact that the light and the air can come through that frost uh, cover stuff, the floating row cover, mm-hmm. is the generic name I use. But uh, yeah. I, I think it works twice yeah. as as good as the uh, dark stuff, or a sheet, or a blanket, or anything like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, you're doing what. I recommend to people, too, especially after our experience in 2021, where people had big citrus and uh, big, somewhat tender trees that had been so many years since we'd had real cold, and then when it froze, they lost everything. And I'm telling people, if if the plant's too big to cover, at least wrap the lower three or four feet of the trunk so that yep, even if yep. the top freezes, it will still come back out. That's what we'll be doing with that Hong Kong orchid tree. And it's just, just in the past month, gotten back to having those beautiful flowers all over it again from the last freeze. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> if the if the weathermen are right, if it gets as cold as they're saying, I'm sure it'll freeze back again. But heck, it grows, you know, fifteen twenty feet in a year's time, so it just will come right back out. But uh, I'm like you. I was sure hoping we were going to get through without uh, without severe cold. But that blasted farmer's almanac, they're right again. When they said that it was going to be a cold January, I thought, well, I hope you're wrong. The the 20% of the time you're wrong. But lo and behold, here we're, we're looking at some really, really chilly temperatures. So... Uh, We'll just we'll just do the best we can. I I do think it's really important for people to water thoroughly before it gets cold, and uh, um, I I think nothing's worse than being dry and cold. And uh, at least I I had to dig a post hole a while back, and uh, I found that once I got down about three or four inches, I got below the level of moist soil, and it's still pretty dry down deep. So um, I, we we're, we're still severe lack of subsurface moisture even though the up on top uh, things have been better the past month or two yeah we looked out we had uh night before last a rain right in the middle of the night that kind of snuck in here and uh the garden soil that uh, is out beyond the eaves is pretty moist mm-hmm. so i don't have to worry about too many people in this area doing that but i'm watering uh, plants under the eave of my house today is one of the things that I have That's a real uh, been good point. warning people about. Yeah, it's, it's easy really to overlook point. that because when it yeah. rains, you think, well, there's plenty of moisture in the soil, and and that rain just uh, rain doesn't move sideways under the uh, <laughs> eaves at all. Yeah. I've learned that the hard way. 
I think we all have, and it's something that we need to be reminded of, and I'm thinking better get somebody to get out and water everything in our front beds here in front of the nursery uh, as well. It's uh, uh, it, <laughs> just I was so in hopes that we were going to get through this winter without having to worry about it. But, you know, it's uh, most things, uh, especially on the organic program, most of the things that freeze down will come back. And, uh, and I still like that technique, haven't practiced it as much as I should, but I don't have that much of my yard that is that tender. But what we saw them do over in the Atlanta Botanical Garden where they put like a little cage around perennials and things and then they just fill it with leaves when they rake the leaves off the lawns there they just fill all these little silos up and uh you know as i tell people all the time it's the thing that insulates is air and anything that traps air traps air is good insulation and uh uh, they do typically can get down, you know, colder than we do, but they, they tend to bring their things through with uh, virtually no expense and just that natural material. So I think, I think, I think that's that a plan as well. well. Yeah. I used to, before the freeze miser uh, came uh, on the market, I used to use trash cans of various mm-hmm. sizes and put them over hose bibs and things that are out in the garden and just trapping that air, um, from a, you know anything from a five-gallon bucket up to a fairly good-sized trash can over yep. the top of a plant in a container or a, uh, a hose bed that you're trying to protect works beautifully. It's um, amazing how effective that is. But yep. the uh, floating row cover and the freeze miser is really a better <laughs> way to go. I had an interesting visit with one of the you know, the guys that invented the freeze miser are right down here in our area, over in the Seguin and Stockdale area, just east of San Antonio. And uh, Jeff was by the nursery earlier, and I was talking to him about issues with hard water and the freeze misers. And he said, well, if you have any calcium buildup or if you have any iron, it's going to be right there just inside the top of the freeze miser, just inside the part that screws onto the hydrant. He said, take a plant saucer or, a, you know, flat pan of some sort that you can put about an inch of vinegar in and then just set your freeze miser up in that let it sit for a few hours or overnight or whatever and he said that will soften up uh calcium deposits and things like that he said step two put your freeze miser in the freezer for two or three hours and then go out and put it on the hose bib and turn it on and of course if you've ever done that that water just comes blasting out for two or three or four minutes until it warms uh, things up. And he said that blast of water is going to be enough to carry out any particulate material that might get in there. Because I've had a couple of people tell me when they put them on the second or third year that they tend to drip a little bit. They're not just totally dry like we want them to be. But Jeff said the vinegar, the cold, and then putting them on, he said that 99% of the time that works to clean them out. And uh, then you're good for the whole rest of the winter. Well, I had done what you were talking about. One of your listeners had done on one of mine. I had put it on, but I hadn't turned the water on. And <laughs> it, it had gotten caught. It had been out in the freezing uh-huh. weather. I turned it on, turned the water on this morning, and the same thing happened. That strong blast of water came out and watered my big ginkgo tree pretty good before it <laughs> slowed down and just started dripping again. Well, and that's, that's not a bad thing to have happen, but... Uh, no, I it's I, I hope those guys are doing well. They're 
they're selling more in some of the mass outlets, which uh, they originally said they weren't going to do, and I wish they weren't doing, but uh, they're getting calls, and they're they're using them all over the United States now. Uh, they, uh, you know, will up in the up in the country that gets well below zero every year. They still work just fine. The one thing that we're telling people that uh, somebody <laughs> told us they were a little disappointed in is people that have a rainwater catchment system they really do put out a lot of water and if you have prolonged cold you're going to have a lot of water come through you know that that bib and uh, if you have a limited amount of water like if you're if you're living on rainwater as some folks do that that's a case where you're probably better still to do the technique that you talked about just covering with a you know, a trash can, a big bucket. Uh, they make a, a little old cup-like thing that you can put over a hose bib just coming out of the house. And we kind of double do that when we put some crumpled up dry newspaper or a little bit of the insulate in there along with that. And uh, th- there's some places where that's probably still a better system than the freeze miser because you go through a lot of water. And I uh, had yeah. one person told me they got through like over, and this was when we had some really prolonged cold, but they told me they'd gone through like over 10,000 gallons of the rainwater. And uh, so it's it's not for everywhere, but it's, it's, I know I've got them on all my hydrants at home, and we'll be putting them on the hydrants here at the nursery uh, when we get through water and everything. Yeah, and you can put some kind of container under it to catch the water. I didn't realize it would go through 10,000 gallons. They must have a lot of them. To do well, they do, and them. they were they were well up into the hill country where it went way below freezing and stayed there for three yeah. or four days yeah. back in 2021. And uh, that, that's the other thing. And uh, Roberta has a big water trough for her cattle, and we did the same thing we recommend to people, put a Y connector you know, on that, and then put the float valve on one side of the Y, put the freeze miser on the other side of it, and uh, that protects that, but, you know, put it on such that any water that comes out of the freeze miser goes back into the tanks, and that kind of does double duty. That, uh, you know, will catch and, and hold virtually all the water that comes out. But secondly, that that water that's coming out is going to be above freezing and uh, at least to some extent will help keep the tank from freezing solid so your animals can still drink from it. Still so, get a, get a yeah. Drink, yeah. And it's, it's the same thing I tell people too. If you've got a, a hose bib that you use all the time, just put the wise connector on there, put your hose on one side, put your freeze miser on the other, and then just use those little, you know, twisties on, on the Y connector to turn it on and off. And that way you're not unscrewing and screwing things back on constantly. Yeah, that's that's a good way to go. You can also, for people who have any floating row cover, you can just use a wad of fl- floating row cover to put over uh, any of the faucets and things, yep. uh, hose bibs and that, that sort of thing, because that'll hold the air just like a, a bucket or some kind of covering. That's another way you can go if you don't yep. have time to do these other things that we're talking about. Yeah, but just remember to do it because, uh, unfortunately, and I, I was, like I said, I was just looking at the Dallas forecast, and it looks like uh, that probably Tuesday morning is going to be the coldest for you guys as well as here. But, unfortunately, uh, they've lowered the temperature the next couple of nights as well. So, uh, And there may be a day or two in there that it doesn't get above freezing, and that's when things really freeze solid and when you can have damage to both pipes and to some of the tender plants if they aren't protected. So it's going to be real cold We're not stuff. having any predictions of uh, 
precipitation. Are y'all having uh, they down were, there? Yeah, they were mentioning potential winter storm, but uh, uh, now they're saying we could get some light freezing rain, I think, on Monday morning, uh, but it's all the precipitation has moved out before we get the coldest nights. At least That's according good. to That's today's good. forecast, they seem to change it about once an hour. And uh, but it, it looks like this is going to be dry cold for the most part. I'm glad to One see that. One of the that. things they're doing here that's new that I've never seen before, anyway, and they ran a story in the uh, paper about it. So maybe the first year they've done it. They're they're spraying liquid, uh, a liquid salt mixture on all the roads, on the, especially overpasses and things like that. Mm. I was driving over the, to the radio station to do some ads uh, yesterday, and um, the traffic was all jammed up, and then I got up closer to it and saw what it was. They had had kind of a caravan of uh, uh, trucks uh, with signs on it, and and then just trucks full of this liquid spraying it on the uh, road. And it's interesting, you can still see it after it's sprayed and it's dried, you can still see it. Hmm. So... I don't know what's in it besides salt. I'm kind of afraid to find out. But yeah, yeah. people that drive around a lot in that, you might want to get your car washed real well after we get through this uh, mess. Yeah, that's probably really good advice. And I'm sure what they're doing is looking for something that will stay in place for, you know, a few days or at least a little bit longer period of time because uh, – you know, that's, again, they salt the roads, they put down different things. I think some of those chemicals are the same thing that they use to uh, de-ice the wings on airplanes. And uh, yeah. But I I suspect that most, if not all of them, are going to be pretty harmful to plants. So uh, around the house, I, I, so, yeah. Yeah, I tell people, you know, some people say, well, I'm going to go put salt on my sidewalk and tell them, don't do that if you... Put anything, put out a little decayed granite. I tell you something that really gives you traction is perlite, but then it's such a mess <laughs> oh, afterwards. Yeah. I, I love perlite, but I hate the fact that it floats. And uh, I, uh, you know, we, we all end up, if we've planted bedding plants for several years in the same spot, because virtually all the growers are just stuck on putting perlite into the mixes and it, it floats around and makes a bit of a mess. But I'll tell you, if you're if you're ever, if you're putting something in the trunk of your car to help you get unstuck, if you get in an icy patch, uh, that perlite works about as well as anything you'll ever find. I'm a big fan of lava sand. That's what I've always used more than anything. Yeah. But the the city here uses just plain old uh, washed concrete sand, mm. uh, and it works great. I mean, it, yeah. it works well. I just I like the lava sand better because it, it, when it gets gets kicked off the road and into the beds and the turf areas and everything. It's, it's good for the uh, good for the plants, but absolutely, it's going to be interesting to see here in Dallas if after spraying this liquid thing that they still do the sand as well. I would mm-hmm. think they probably would, but I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch and see if it doesn't rain. They probably rain or sleet or snow. They probably won't. Yeah. Well, if you can remember to do it, and that's always a big if for me, you might make a note of the areas where you've seen them put it down, especially if they're areas that have grass up to the pavement. 
uh, so we can watch and see if it does, uh, you know, what it does to vegetation. Because that's that's the bad thing about persistent things is they stick around and continue to cause problems. And I always tell people that about salt, and they say, oh, yeah, but people do that all the time. And I say, yeah, back in biblical times, that's how you destroyed a civilization, was plow salt into the fields because nothing would grow. So it's uh, I, we just have to be careful what we use. And I like your idea of the lava lava sand that's probably the very best thing of all because it's nice and gritty make a good surface to walk on and you know will actually benefit things if it when it gets uh, eventually swept off or washed off the sidewalk or driveway or wherever you're wherever you're needing traction there's one negative about it <clears throat> you got to be careful about tracking it in the house absolutely it will stick to your uh, <laughs> shoes a little bit and you, you gotta be a little careful about that coming in and out of the house kick it off and that's why some of the commercial people don't like to use it as much as i like it but uh, yeah it, well, it works great i i just leave my i just leave my walking shoes outside and have have the house shoes that i slip on when i come in and that uh that applies to more than just that but yeah lava sand decayed granite a lot of things we use uh will very very definitely be hard on lots of different kinds of flooring but uh, uh I, one other thing that uh i was going to ask you about there are places where you're just not going to grow turf grass either it's too shady or you have you know too much foot traffic from dogs or people or whatever else and uh, i had not really looked carefully at some of the new synthetic turfs that are out there but uh our friend Dr. Kirby actually put some in his front yard because it's just too shady for him to grow grass. And there's some material out there that really is pretty nice looking now. And uh, uh, he said he absolutely loves it. It's easy to clean up after the dogs and uh, serves the purpose. And uh, uh, anyway, I'd, and he was showing me, and I, at some point I guess I need to talk to the company that installed it, uh, they actually have several different looks to it that actually can look like different kinds of grass as well. <laughs> he, he repeated about three times. He said, now it's expensive, but then a minute later it was, this stuff's kind of pricey. But uh, uh, there are places now where where we just can't do mulch or can't do plants. That uh, I was really surprised at how good it looked. Yeah, you just have to be careful using it around trees. That's my only fear. Uh, I oh, think absolutely. some of them have have uh, some air aeration slits or, or small holes or something like that, so they can breathe a little bit. And his it, does. Uh, yeah. Do, that, does he? Okay. Yeah. Probably that's one of the reasons why it's more expensive. I would definitely get that if you're if you're using any of that stuff around trees because it definitely could could be uh, a negative effect on the root system of trees and much as i don't like it i still like it better than the rock i just hate that and we see so much of it here in san antonio where you know people had trouble with the hard freeze and then especially with our super hot summer this last year a lot of a lot of commercial people have just stopped putting plants in and they're just putting down weed block which i hate and dumping a bunch of rock on top of it and i that's a trend that i really don't like i i agree and there is one way to go though if if people decide to go that way that will benefit trees almost as much as regular mulch and that's lava gravel mm -hmm. you know, not sand but the lava gravel 
right. and not use any plastic underneath it. You know, <laughs> it it actually will benefit plants greatly. And oh, sure. If you don't mind that look, that that will work. But if you put the plastic under it, it just it ruins the whole uh, the whole system. Right. Right, the plastic or the so-called weed block, and I tell people the yep. it's it's you know false economy because it doesn't stop the weeds. It's uh, it it may yep. keep a few things. It will not keep nutsedge will go right through it, uh, even the heavy duty stuff. But most of the weeds that people are fighting are you know annuals, and after a very short period of time, the seed blows in, and I've seen some wonderful beds of weeds <laughs> growing in these areas where people put down the weed block and uh, even had one up in the hill country where uh, people had a big problem in their in their artificial turf and they had weeds that were two and three feet tall up there obviously somebody that left home for a few months at one point so yeah the weed block fabrics just they're so hard on the soil so hard on the plants and they don't stop the weeds so i think they should be outlawed but um, there was a whole uh, bunch of it used on Central Expressway when it was redesigned and rebuilt, you know, s- several years ago. <clears throat> and they had to go in and just completely redo all the beds. It came, it uh, it was almost like more weeds came through where, where the weed block fabric was used than yep. where, where yep. it wasn't used. People tell me that they need to use the plastic under the gravel, even talking about the lava gravel. And I said, mm-hmm. no, you don't. You just need to. Get the weeds out as, as well as you can before you put the gravel down, and put down, uh, make it a little thicker, about two inches of the uh, of the gravel. And if anything grows, you can control it very easily with the strong vinegars. Just spray exactly. the weeds that come through that kind of situation. That's a perfect place uh, to use the strong vinegars. Yeah, and like you said, uh, the lava actually will benefit trees or. If you have perennials planted in an area like that, uh, it's uh, it, it's not bad looking. And uh, lava is just one of those things that I I wish we had more availability on it in bulk, and I wish we had the availability of uh, some different particle size to it. And a couple of the material yards down here are carrying some little bit different. I guess you'd call it a grade or a size of it, but. Uh, I just I really really like that product as a soil amendment uh, in a fine particle size or you know as a as a decorative covering on top in a bigger size uh, just so much better river rock the river rock's what I really object to and that's what unfortunately we're seeing a lot of show up down here yeah, very artificial there's another use that I recommend for lava gravel too some. Some arborists, and I do too, recommend sometimes when you're working with a really uh, compacted soil and, and you want to make a dramatic change, you can drill piers out through mm-hmm. the, uh, the root zone. And, uh, you know, you could, the more you do, the better it works. But the people that aren't into organics will fill it up with uh, different kinds of gravel and different things. And I came mm-hmm. up with the idea of using lava gravel in those uh, core cores, and then you put the same amendments that we recommend for the sick tree treatment uh, down in there, but use the lava gravel, black or red, to make any mm-hmm. difference what color it is, to fill basically the whole thing. It leaves really nice airspace all through that uh, 
pier that you've done, that hole, and you can water really well, and the water seeps out from those piers well, but the lava gravel keeps it really, really well uh, aerated and works better than anything you can put in the piers, I think. And yeah, that's the, that's very important, and like you say, the oxygen is so important. I visited uh, a restaurant here recently that had had a, uh, a good company come out and do that because they had an area they were going to have to have to pay for parking. They just simply had to have a parking lot there, but they went through on about three-foot centers and put the little piers down in, and then they put a uh, nice metal cap, actually a very heavy metal cap, over the top that uh, with with good good air holes, so to speak, probably three eighth inch size holes in the top of it. So um, it's it done well. You know, it it is one thing you can do. I still anything you can do to reduce compaction over a root zone is going to be important. But they actually put a hard surface down, so the compaction is not going to be as much of an issue. And the trees in the area look great. They they've suffered no shock whatsoever. So. Uh, is there a hard surface over the entire area, or just where the piers were done? Uh, over the well, it's pretty much over the whole area. Yeah, it's in one of these. That's you know, land has just gotten so expensive in so many of the commercial areas, and you know, places like a good restaurant, something like that, you've got to be able to park a lot of cars, and unfortunately, they uh, lots of times they just put down concrete or uh you know packed base material or something like that and then the trees just slowly deteriorate i one of the things many many years ago when i worked with halton grimm i i planted uh some trees in a parking lot up in bernie where i had to dig down through the asphalt through the base material and then plant the oaks and I'm happy to say 40 years later those trees are still alive but they're sure bonsai from all the stuff yeah. that was done around yeah. them but uh any anyway well anything else special going on are you uh booked up this spring with speaking engagements are you going to do any of the mother earth news projects we need to put on the calendar for people to know about to come see and hear your programs well mother earth news <clears throat> made a very strange decision they're not going to have any any more more fairs really they're going to do it yeah they're going to do it by zoom or online somehow they Came, they came up with the reasoning on it, and you can take it or leave it, that they could <laughs> affect more people by doing that than having it in person. So the one in Belton was canceled, and I think they've canceled the other ones too. I've got some private things coming up, and, and got because of that happened, we have agreed to go to several home and garden shows. There's going to be several in the North Texas area, and they'll... They'll all show up on DirtDoctor.com under appearances. Uh-huh. Uh, we're, that's where all the information is. If people want to hire me as a consultant or ha- have me come do a speech or a lecture series or something like that. I had one coming up for this coming Tuesday with the Junior League group. But, uh, thank goodness they decided it would be a good idea to postpone <laughs> it for a while. So, for warmer weather. Rough. Well, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're getting out to some of the home and garden shows, and I presume you probably still set up your, uh, you know, big trees or your beautiful trees program that you can run continuously for people to stand there and look at. Because that's that's just one of the, golly, that just it, it's just fun to watch over and over. Sometimes I'm I'm impressed, and I see something new every time I 
I go to dirtdoctor.com and and watch that. So that's that that's good. I'm sorry to yeah, hear about Mother Earth there. So yeah, yeah. We we keep the fabulous tree slideshow there uh, all the time. It's uh, that box is basically for any edits or any new things we've added to the website. But mm-hmm. there's a couple of things like the fabulous tree slideshow we keep there all the time, so people can uh, can see it. Well, very good. Well, I uh, will. <laughs> I guess next time we talk, we'll we'll be talking about the after effects, and uh, I hopefully we'll be saying, "Well, thank goodness it didn't get as cold as they forecast." But um, anything anything may happen, so just uh, do like I'm doing. Encourage people to, you know, prepare ahead of time, water thoroughly, but be sure and shut that sprinkler system off before the cold hits and. Uh, most everything's going to come through. I think the organic program, people using that are going to have less damage than others, and people that mulch and use the row cover probably have very little, if any, damage at all. But I guess we'll just sum it up and say it's going to be a very interesting week. Oh, I think so, yeah. The organic program, floating row cover, give you close to 10 degrees protection, and that's, that's really a lot. And hopefully yeah. they're guessing low. Uh, last year, uh I was a little cavalier. I thought, well, they're saying it's going to be this, but it usually is a little higher. And it went the other way. It was actually lower right. than they had predicted here. So I hope that doesn't happen to us. But everybody, uh, keep your fingers crossed, and we'll talk again next week. We'll sure look forward to it, Howard. Thank you so much. And uh, Thanks, keep those buddy. puppies warm as well. <laughs> All right. Talk to you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Mr. Howard Garrett is the Dirt Doctor. Dirtdoctor.com is his website. And... Uh, Ah, there's just so much information there. It uh, not much you can't find on DirtDoctor.com, and 99% of the material that's there is just as applicable here in uh, San Antonio as it is uh, up in the Metroplex where where Howard is. Uh, Greg, I guess we better get a break in here, and then time for a few more phone calls if anybody wants to call. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. We've got a little more time left in the show to answer your questions, so grab a line if you like, 210-599-5555. Bobby is first in line. Good morning, Bobby. Uh, good morning, Bob. Uh, I'm uh on the patio uh enjoying a, a little bit of a fire and, <laughs> and i'm glad you got a fire pit going yeah it's uh, still pretty chilly out there uh part of my question was already answered uh i had bought a beautiful uh mexican sycamore at shades of green uh, about mm-hmm. two months ago yeah and uh so i already know now i need to wrap part of the trunk at least up to the oh, uh the branches. i i i don't think that'll be necessary mexican really? sycamore is a hardy tree yeah i would water oh. it thoroughly um i mean it won't hurt anything but i doubt i'd make that the last thing you do not the first thing you do because they're a no. perfectly hardy tree and uh i'm just thinking back i mean even in the even in the big freeze we we kept uh kept things in Mexican sycamores in containers, and I don't recall having seen much damage. So, uh, okay if you want to do that, but make it, like say, the last thing you do instead of the first thing. Sure. Well, that leads me to what I did. I I dug a hole, Mm -hmm. and I was so proud of it. It was just the right depth, 
um, just the right width. You know, it was a really heavy, heavy tree. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I was so proud of the hole, uh, squared it off, everything. Um, one thing I forgot to do was fill the hole with water first. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh, I have been watering it thoroughly uh, uh, once a week, at least uh, probably nine gallons of water. Uh, so I, I think I'm, I'm doing that right. Um, was the tree in a five-gallon container or a 15-gallon container? 15-gallon. Oh, I do 15, 20 gallons of water when you water. Okay. All right. Thanks. Um, uh, so uh, that was my that was really my main question. Did I do it right? Uh, I put in I put in the uh, azomite, the bottom of the uh, hole, and uh, the the good old cocktail of uh, uh, a good cocktail of all of the. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, all of that. It, so as long you as you're in a... soil that drains, that the, the main reason, you know, I tell people to fill the hole with water before you plant is just there's some areas around where we've got so much caliche, so much, you know, hard-packed clay that the holes just don't drain. And uh, that's what we're checking to, you know, to make sure of. But... Uh, it sounds like your tree's off to a good start. Sounds like you're in an area where you have soil that drains. So I, I think you just at this point just water, fertilize, mulch, and uh, stand back and don't let it hit you in the face. It'll grow so fast. <laughs> well, the the soil's really pretty good. At least uh, the five or six inches, and then uh, below that, it's it's a little compacted, but not not much. So it Very didn't good. take that long to to dig it. So uh, I'll do that. I'll. I guess today I'll add more water. Uh, I'd already watered it earlier this week, but I'll add a little more. I, considering that it's a newly planted tree, I would do that. But I, again, I, I wouldn't worry about wrapping the trunk. I really don't think that's going to be necessary. Well, the Mexican sycamore was such a good uh, ad, uh, ad, advice uh, for for the area. I've I've seen you know when you buy a new car and then you're going around and you see everybody else's new car the same thing you thought you had something unique <laughs> right and, and i've noticed in my own neighborhood uh those that had planted uh, mexican sycamore in their front yards some of them were were doing real well some weren't and i have a feeling it was just the way that they were planted i've seen well, some, the best best ones i've seen are in, in at shades of green of course but <laughs> I, i've seen some along a highway uh, on, on the southeast side of town, and they're beautiful, too, and they don't get, you know, continuous irrigation. So right. they but must that's have been the, planted right. Yeah, that's the one thing about Mexican sycamore is it will take supplemental water in a dry spell. Uh, the place you see sycamores, both Mexican and American, in nature are going to be along creeks and waterways and things like that. So when we have a summer like last summer where it just goes for weeks and weeks without rain, that's one tree that you will have to provide some supplemental watering, but it'll reward you by growing 50 feet tall in 10 years 
uh, while your oak trees, you know, struggling to get 15 feet tall. So it's it's a good choice, but I still believe in diversity. If I were going to plant tree in 10 trees, I'd probably plant two Mexican sycamores, but I want to see some diversity in the canopy. But uh sounds to me like you're doing it right, Bobby. So uh, you All get right. out and stay, enjoy your fire pit and stay warm. Yeah, I'm going to try to get warm. Thank you a lot, Bob. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Greg, let's get our last break of the hour, well, the last break of the show in, and then we'll come back and uh, finish up uh, with Diane and Tana. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening for a few more minutes. Uh, Tana is up next. I think we probably have time for one more call than that. If you want to dial quickly, you know the number, 210-599-5555. Well, we say good morning, Tana. Hey, good morning, sir. And it is indeed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I need a molasses primer, sort of. When I add molasses to the... Water to the uh, water can. Mm-hmm. How much molasses do I add to the water can? And is this just for water, general watering yeah. of plants? Yes, I, just general. I'd say a tablespoon per gallon if you're using a liquid. Uh, it's not going to really hurt anything it it the as you well know the the thing about molasses is it tends to create a lot of biological life a lot of aeration plants that like lousy soil and poor aeration like nutsedge you know we can actually kill them with molasses but uh just general things in the landscape uh there's you don't ever really have to worry about overusing it i think it uh becomes Oh, just what is it they say the uh, um, the diminishing returns thing? I think if you get above uh, a tablespoon per gallon, you don't get that much added benefit. But uh, in in a you know residential area, okay. tablespoon per gallon is good. In a big agricultural area, we usually figure five to seven gallons per acre. Okay, then what about the grow boxes? Uh, a lady earlier called about a grow box, and you, how much molasses in that? Oh, probably less because, uh, you know, I always worry about, you know, the water in the grow boxes going anaerobic. Um, I I would add probably maybe half a teaspoon per gallon when you're adding water to the grow box. I wouldn't go nearly as heavily. Okay, fine. Um I live in a permanent park model RV, mm-hmm. and I have a porch that the boys built me. So I have brought my Myers lemon and any other potted stuff that I could get up here, up here. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, no, it does not look quite like a jungle. <laughs> <laughs> but it sure beats the uh, beats not having. I love having foliage. I I live in a big greenhouse if I could. <laughs> and so, do I need to go ahead and put the uh, row cover around my lemon? I definitely would. 
Yeah, you're down toward McDonough, as I recall. Yes. And uh, uh-huh. it's gonna it it's gonna be pretty pretty chilly probably Tuesday night and Wednesday night. The weathermen keep, you know, changing back and forth and uh, as to when they expect the cold and how long they expect the cold to last. But um, yeah, I very definitely would be protecting things up on that porch. Okay. Well, I have a one-year-old crepe myrtle, and I have one of the large. Uh, trash cans so I upended that it happens to be metal so I upended mm-hmm. that over that well so I, I wouldn't worry about your I wouldn't worry about your crepe myrtle uh, I think it's <laughs> probably going to be well uh, yeah just uh, you don't want the pot to freeze solid but once again that's that's probably the last thing I protect not the first if you have any citrus okay. or things like that those most definitely need to be protected but uh Great myrtles are pretty cold hardy so long as the whole pot doesn't freeze solid. Oh, keto. Well, the the crepe myrtle happens to be in the ground. Okay. And uh, because of the poor way that the nursery did the uh, lemon is why it's in a 16 by 16. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it had at least an inch of real... Uh, roots, and mm-hmm. that was it. So that well, that's why I'm babying him, and he's up on the porch. I, you're doing the right thing, and you're a good gardener. You get out and stay warm, and uh, I know we'll talk again Thank soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're sure so welcome. Thank you. All right, we got Diane back. So good morning, Diane. Thank goodness I got back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm None of my glad you did. Yeah. Okay. Isn't so that I frustrating? You, yes, very. I heard you and Howard talking about the faucets that are attached to the building. And mm-hmm. did you say you put those styrofoam kind of cups that they sell at the store over your? That's but you don't. That's what Roberta does. I don't have faucets on the building. Mine, you know, mine are on. <laughs> terrible for cold, but mine are on pieces of pipe that stick three feet up out of the ground. I guess that's the way they did it 60 or 80 years ago when whoever put the water system around my yard. But uh, she has them around her house, and she's always used the, uh, the little cups. And she takes the extra trouble of, like, crumpling up some newspaper in there just to really create a lot of dead air, which is what insulation is all about. But... Uh, uh, Knock on wood, those have always been successful and given given plenty of protection. And again, freeze mines are not for everybody. In her situation, she's on a well that is not a very strong well, and uh, you can you can drain a water tank in a uh, in a cold period. People that are on city water, that's not a concern to them. And people that have you know, I had plenty of water out there. It's, it's, there's no reason not to use a freeze miser on something like that. But people on rainwater or people with uh, very little water production, sometimes I think those cups are still the better way to go. Okay, because we have this weird backflow whatever rule, and yeah. I can't, the freeze misers will not work on those because really? the water backflow. Not it, enough pressure? No. If I turn the faucet on, it gushes out this valve that they make us use mm-hmm. and you can't I, 
I got one off, but the guy working on it said I almost broke the faucet and it would have broken in the wall. So I have two oh, wow. two that I can use freeze miser on, which of course I have. But the others I've always dripped, and I'm like, God, that wastes so much water. And we're talking about mm-hmm. days. Yeah. So if for some reason, because it's kind of late in the game, I can't find those styrofoam cups that attach to the wall. Could I take some row cover or newspaper or something like that, put it in a cardboard box, and, like, tape that to the house? Sure, sure. And I know this is going to sound, this is probably going to sound crazy, but uh, Mm -hmm. something that really is very effective is bubble wrap. You know, everybody gets something shipped in bubble wrap, and and it's just trapped air. Um, And I've known people, in fact, I knew a guy that uh, once did the inside of his greenhouse. It looked like, you know what, but uh, he put it all over (laughs) the inside walls of his greenhouse for insulation, and it did keep it a little bit warmer. But, uh, you know, that smaller size bubble, if you take something like that and just, you know, wrap that several turns around, that's probably going to do even better than insulate will. Okay, so I could do that and then put a cardboard box over it. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Okay. Do I have time for one more question? Uh, you got about uh, two minutes and six seconds. Okay. Good. Then I have two questions. When I'm when I'm um, anti-freezing my my plants in my vegetable garden, mm-hmm. is it one tablespoon of molasses to two tablespoons of seaweed, or the? That's opposite? what I do. No, that's what I okay. do. Two tablespoons seaweed, one tablespoon molasses. And how far in advance? I know the farther the better, but, like, I've gotten two applications done over the past few weeks because my life is crazy, and I don't have time I for everything. I know the feeling. Like do, you, do, you, do you have a Brix meter? No. I think people have given me two. If I can find the second one, I will give it to you because you would enjoy that. But the only way you're really going to get an answer to that, and it's a it's a funny deal. You just put a little bit of sap, you know, and hold it up to the light, and it... Uh, the refractive index tells you how much sugar it is. And it would be a real good experiment for you to uh, do over a period of time and see how much you raise the bricks doing it every week or two. And that's, um, it's the longer the better, because all you're doing is creating more sugars in the sap, which is acting as an antifreeze. But uh, uh, I'm sure a couple of applications, since you're already under an organic program, I'm sure that's going to help a good deal. But would it be perfect? Nah, not as good as six weeks or not as good as three right. months. Right. Okay. Well, I'm still going to put my row cover out over yeah. everybody. Um, okay. My last question. So that amazing amaryllis that y'all sold this year, the new variety, the mm-hmm. pink one. Oh, yeah. my God. It was so fabulous. So I cut the stalk off, and now I wait for leaves to grow. Yeah. And how yeah. long can I put it in the ground in the spring? No, I would I, and you're going to have to dig it up again in the fall because it is a hippie astrum and it is not cold hardy. But lots of water, lots of fertilizer, treat it like a house plant, and I do have to go now. Everybody join me again tomorrow. It's time for Martin Bomba now here on KTSA Radio in San Antonio.